Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right. Good evening, everybody out there in listener land. Thank you for joining us this evening. This is Hump Day Hara with Blind Pride International, otherwise known as BPI. We are one of the special interest affiliates of ACB, which is the American Council of the Blind. But you guys all know that because you're listening to ACB Radio, the community call stream. And tonight we are discussing all things horror with one of BPI's newest but lifetime members, a awesome contributor, one of my very good friends. We're here with Mr. Matt Schwartz, and this is the first of a bunch of Wednesday night happenings that we're going to have next week. We'll be doing sci-fi with Byron and possibly Matt again. And the following week after that, we'll be doing romantic comedies and romantic fiction. So without further ado, can I please have everyone's attention and welcome for Matt Schwartz, who is all things horror guru. Matt, welcome and thank you for taking some time to have this roundtable with us. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm psyched. Um, so, um, I mean, just a quick intro. So I pretty much have spent my entire career working with, um, horror books, horror fiction. I currently work for a book publisher, had a horror bookstore. And, um, but mainly I did that because I lived out in New York and not in Hollywood and couldn't work with movies, which are probably my true love. So, um, so I am a fan of all horror movies in all genres um but uh but thought i'd give you some you know some of my some of my favorites um and hopefully some a lot of recent favorites that are that have audio description as well so matt did a lot of research to make sure that there's going to be some programming that you guys can all look for after the call that is audio described matt can i ask you a question before you start your sure your presentation absolutely Yes. We we got three emails about this same question. Everybody wants to know, have you ever met Stephen King? And is he even half as scary in real life as his writing is on page? <laughs> um, so I've met Stephen King um, and uh, and he was um, one of the sweetest authors I've ever met. Um, he's very tall. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I used to, um, I worked for barnesandnoble.com. One of my first jobs was working for the website for barnesandnoble.com. I typed like about a hundred words in a hundred words, a hundred words a minute, a hundred, uh, 110 words a minute. So they used to have me type for authors during live chats where the author would give the answer and I would type it real fast in real time. And so I went to Stephen King's hotel room one night to do this chat with him for AOL back when America online was the way that people communicated and, uh, and he could not have been a nicer human being. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of his, obviously it's one, I don't get starstruck very often, but it was one of the few times I was really nervous. Um, but the, he insisted on typing for himself. So he was going to be in one room of his hotel room and I was going to be in the other in case anything went wrong. Um, the downside of course is that five minutes into the chat, his long legs kicked out the plug of the computer, disconnecting, and it being America Online, 
took about 40 minutes for us to get back online. And during that time, I was pretty much wetting my pants the entire time, thinking that I had a hand in ruining what was probably the most important chat in my career. Um, but he couldn't have been nicer and laughed the whole time. And it was very sweet. And he scheduled another time to do another chat and it turned out to be fine. So he is, he is nowhere near as, nowhere near as scary as his books. He's proportionately opposite uh, of, uh, of, of, of how scary his books is. So. That's pretty awesome. So you compiled a couple of lists for us and I'm going to leave it to you Good. to facilitate from this point forward. Matthew Schwartz, um, take it away. Sure. I mean, so, um, so Anthony asked me to compile a couple lists, one being um, maybe some of my favorite horror films of all time, regardless of whether they're audio described or not. Um, a list of um, the best horror films that I know of that are currently audio described on a bunch of platforms. And then also a bunch of horror books that I love, um, all of which are available on at least through Audible, um, audiobooks. Um, and, uh, and I thought, you know, and so we could start with, we'll start with just so you get a feeling for maybe what, I mean, so just to be aware, um, you'll probably see a theme in my horror movies that I'm very, um, I think I'm very story driven. And a lot of times probably go for films that are a little less about, um, screaming in fear and a little more based on characters, but I watch it all. I mean, I've seen every slasher film I've seen, you know, I've seen old Italian horror. I've seen black and white horror. I've seen, you know, you know, uh, torture porn, which I don't love, but I mean, I've seen it all. So anything after, after I enlist them, I mean, if there's any kind of things that you like, then I'm happy to recommend. And the easiest way to do it is if you tell me things that you like, I usually describe to people, if you like that, you'll like this. Um, and that's kind of how I usually go with film. So feel free to jump in or weigh in afterwards. Um, but I'll give you a quick rundown of some of my favorite horror films of all time, just to give you um, some sense of what I like. Um, unfortunately, almost all of these, sadly, are not available for audio description. Um, as I as I spent the last week researching um, Amazon and Hulu and Netflix and Shudder and everywhere I watch horror films, I realized just how sad the selection is of older films um, that are audio described, which um, makes me really angry um, and really annoyed. But, um, but anyway, um, but that said, that's not to say that these haven't been audio described on some platforms they've played on or things like that. I'm just saying that right now where they are, they're not audio described. So the, uh, the film that probably I find to be one of the scariest of all times, which um, a lot of people consider science fiction, but I think of as horror is uh, the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, with Donald Sutherland and uh, Leonard Nimoy and Brooke Adams, um, which was, yeah. I was, you know, I was eight years old when my parents took me to see in the theater. Um, and I spent, I would say, not exaggerating, I would say maybe three to four months after that, looking under my bed for every night to make sure there was not a pod under there that was going to get me while I sleep. Um, and, you know, I watch it once every few years, and I still find it to be one of the nastiest, scariest movies of all time, mostly because it's so, it's so hopeless. And also because um, it does something that I think you don't see in horror films enough, which is that it's almost told in real time, which is the vast majority of the film is told within a couple hours in the middle of the night while these people are running for their lives. So 
Um, but I mean, I think it gives you a better sense of what I like and that it's about dread and wondering what will happen more than something jumping out at you. Although, again, I'm about to list a couple of films where pretty much the entire time is things jumping out at you. So um, <laughs> uh, a year later, my parents took me to see Alien, um, which given that I was nine and given that it was R-rated may have not been the best choice on their part, which I think they realized afterwards. Almost a pretty, all, always all, also science fiction and also um, a traumatizing affair for me, I think, but, but worth it. And I mean, again, it's, you know, definitely much more of a haunted house film than it is in some ways a science fiction film, but just the, um, the, I love films that have a very small cast and very few characters that you get to know intimately. Um, which is why like the, um, uh, the, the film, the others with Nicole Kidman, um, ghost story is also one of my favorites, which is, you know, there's not a lot that happens in that film, but it is all about, you know, basically one person really, um, and her kids. And it is just, uh, I just find it absolutely just great storytelling and terrifying. Um, but, uh, on the more like over the top stuff, um, I also, while I didn't see in the theater, I was, my parents learned their lesson. I, um, uh, I saw Carrie at an early age, um, which again, I find to be uh, fascinating to me and really um, uh, personal to me, mostly just because I was horrifically bullied as a kid, um, both for being gay, also for being androgynous and also just being, um, uh, had OCD, just being, being definitely an outcast. Um, and Carrie really like hit home for home to me. Um, and I still think Carrie holds up as this amazing film, um, yeah. primarily, primarily more than almost any other film about bullying, because it 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 doesn't um, it doesn't try to humanize Carrie in any way. It basically is just like she basically is presented in some ways as an angry dog that's been poked too many times. Um, but I think the most important thing to me is that not only it's not only the kids that do the bullying that get hurt, like everybody pays the price. And I don't think there's that many movies out there that kind of talk about the lesson of standing aside and watching bad things happen to other people comes with a cost as well. And I just feel like, I feel like you just don't see that message in many movies at all, including the Carrie remake um, where, and I just think it's, again, it's a, I love movies that there aren't quite anything like it. And for that reason, especially in Carrie, there's quite nothing like it. I mean, even the people that try to help her get hurt, which is just a sign that like a few bad apples can completely bleed into society and destroy everything. Um, and it's understandable. I mean, and so I just think it's a, it's a brilliant film. It's not audio described that I can find, which is really sad, although it's pretty dialogue heavy um, in some ways too. And so I, I have to assume that it would hold up better than most, um, uh, most films would um, without audio description. Um, one of my favorites that is audio described, one of, one of, actually, I think my only favorite on this list that's audio described, it's available both on Netflix and on Amazon prime is, um, is the American remake of the ring, um, which, um, which is a remake of a great Japanese movie called Ringu and also based on a fantastic horror novel, Japanese horror novel called ring. And, uh, I think it is. It is genuinely, um, I think it's genuinely terrifying, but I think the, 
outside of one or two jump scares, it, unlike a lot of Asian cinema, it really is, um, it's almost all storytelling and it's almost all about, um, deciding how much you, how bad, almost in some ways, how bad a person are you willing to become to save yourself, um, in some ways. And it's just a really interesting morality tale. Um, and if anyone hasn't seen it, I recommend it. And despite what like most hardcore horror fans will tell you, most hardcore horror fans will swear that it's nowhere near as good as the as the Japanese version, um, which I totally get. Like, and usually I'm totally in favor of the original. Well, the thing is here is that that Asian version sticks to the novel, and uh, and it's a great novel. But the American version makes a couple changes that make the story better and make it make more sense. And yeah. If it's not if it's not quite as scary as the original, it actually is way more satisfying on a on a storytelling level. Um, and I really do think it's the definitive version of that of that book and of you know and that movie. Um, so to everyone else, I say you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding, but that's how I feel. Um, the um, and then a couple other just favorites that I'll just mention again. Sadly, not audio described at this moment, but ones people know for sure. Probably the most like traditional horror movie that's my favorite is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, mostly again because I think uh, Wes Craven is this great filmmaker, and I think it's just an again it's a nasty film, um, and it is a film where there's no escape, um, and I just think that is that's something that I think makes any horror film terrifying. Um, I mean, I think you know I think The Ring has that message in some ways. I think. Um, you know, I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers has that message, but I just think the, the idea of it being something that you can't really get away from is, is horrific. Um, and then I'll also just say a recent film that ranked among my favorites that I'm frustrated isn't audio described. And I don't know, I actually have been trying to think of how well it will be without audio description, and maybe people here have seen it or could tell me, um, is The Babadook from a few years ago, um, which I think holds up better after seeing it more than once um, yes. just because I think it is, it's this movie effectively. It's really about this movie about a woman whose mental illness um, manifests itself physically and becomes a physical, you know, entity of sorts. And again, it's just something that while there's been plenty of horror films that deal with mental illness. And again, it's something that is close to my heart. I don't remember seeing any one quite do it this way in a way that is, geared more towards story uh, character development and more about um, more about the devastation of mental illness on the person and the people around them than it is, you know, about the supernatural stuff. Um, so I don't, I mean, um, um, Anthony, I don't know if you've seen the Babadook. Did you see it? I did. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know how well I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a quiet film, but I also, it's, it's largely, there is, there is a lot of dialogue in it. Um, so I just don't know. I don't know how easy it would be. Um, I think from, you know, from a perspective of someone who saw it when, when I still had sight and who mm. largely relies on audio description now, um, it would translate over. I mean, it would be a thousand times better if you had someone sighted watching with you. Right. Um, but it would translate over. And I would say that I didn't mention this to you in the prep because I didn't remember, but there are a lot of movies and TV shows that are available in England that are audio described that aren't described here. So it's worth it. investing, looking out um, to see if you can get a United Kingdom version that is audio yep. described. But yeah, it's it's watchable and you can follow it without 
audio description, but if you have somebody there that can give you some of the visual cues that you won't be able to pick up on, that would increase the, uh, yeah. The I mean, there's factor. definitely, there's definitely a couple segments in there that are a couple minutes of no dialogue and just kind of watching, you know, watching people kind of sit there and stuff like that. So I think, um, and I'll also mention another horror, like a genuine nasty horror film that also has an audio described though is bigger in the UK than here. So maybe it is all described somewhere, which is, uh, the descent, um, about a bunch of women that go, uh, cave exploring. Cave diving. And yeah. It was a great it movie. A cave diving. And it is, it is, it is a deeply disturbing film again. And, um, and yeah, so I think the, that's the list of like, again, my, my favorites change all the time. I mean, I love recent films like Hereditary or The Witch. Um, I mean, I see everything under the sun, but the, um, but I mean, those are the films that, you know, 10, 20 years later, they still, they still disturb me and I still watch them. But again, I've seen everything. Um, but Anthony, should I dive into the ones that are audio described? Yeah, absolutely. Although okay. I, I do so, want to just touch on Carrie for one second. Yeah, first and for foremost, sure. <laughs> first and foremost, Piper Laurie. I mean, you know, you just, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is the screen queen, but Piper Laurie has got to be one of the most recognizable, um, you know, character. That, that character is probably one of the most recognizable horror characters ever. But more importantly than that, that opening montage is just so 70s and so you know it just sets up the mood for the for the film so perfectly i mean did you find an audio described copy of that i i so i've only looked at streaming services so i don't know what dvds have audio description or not um i've only i only basically looked at the five streaming services that i use um for which movies are audio described or which ones aren't and then i checked on the services before speaking tonight because there are some lists out there of things that are audio described where then i went to look and and they're not audio described anymore or they're not or whatever so but the ones i'm going to talk about tonight at least at this time definitely are audio described all right jump right in thank you tyra's not one of them yeah so and i'll mention the services that these are that these are described on i will say that some of these i mean so the platform that has the most for me is Amazon Prime. Um, and some of them are available for free through Prime and then some are available for renting for a few bucks. But by far, um, special Amy's by far Amazon had the most. Um, I mean had a lot actually. Like I actually had to cut down my list from Amazon. And then I'll mention a few from like Netflix and Hulu, but largely the only ones that outside of the ring on Netflix, the only ones that are on Netflix and Hulu that are audio described in terms of horror movies are one that are exclusive to those platforms. The ones that they bought and put on as opposed to are paying a, like a licensing fee to have on there. Um, and I'm guessing the only reason the ring is audio described on Netflix is because it's also audio described on Amazon prime. And I'm guessing it's already described everywhere it is while, you know, so, but I will mention, but these are all available. So, um, so again, the, um, I'll, I'll start with, I mean, I'll start with Netflix since it's probably, I mean, there's a handful of good horror movies on Netflix that people should just watch out for. Um, and they're all outside of the ring. They're all Netflix exclusives, but I'll just give, and I'm not going to ruin anything. I never, I never talk about spoilers. I actually in general don't go heavy into the actual story and more just try to give people a sense of what kind of movie it is. Um, but I'll never ruin anything. Um, what I'll say is, so to start with on Netflix, there are four films to watch for. 
Um, one is called the um, one is called the Ritual, and it's probably the most traditional of all the horror movies. It's basically based on a book um, by a friend of mine, actually, um, and it basically is about um, four really obnoxious guys in their early 30s who are not good people, who are friends, who go on a hiking expedition, and uh, as you know, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, they kind of start turning on each other and you start figuring out which of them are maybe good people, which of them are even worse than others. Um, so it's kind of, it's not a, it's not a shaky cam. Not that, I mean, you know, not like, it's not like Blair Witch where it's told in real time, but it has a similar setup to something like Blair Witch, which is guys lost in the woods. Something really bad is going on. They're not sure what's happening. Um, and it's tense, um, but it is character driven. And it is more story-driven than most of those Lost in the Woods kind of movies. Um, and uh, most horror people like it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's classic, but I would say, like, for people who are looking for kind of traditional scary stuff, I would say the ritual falls most into that. Um, I would say for suspense on, um, for suspense on Netflix, um, they produced a movie called Hush, um, about a deaf woman who is uh, being stalked in her house by a home invader who's trying to kill her and how she's trying to maneuver the scenario um, without, uh, uh, without being able to hear him. Um, it's a really interesting film. Uh, honestly, I'd be curious to hear what anyone on here thinks of the audio description since, as you can imagine, there's not a lot of dialogue in the film. There is some dialogue of her speaking with her friend um, and and a little here and there but it's largely i mean it's largely music driven and then you know it's it's telling you kind of what's going on as she's like walking around the house um but i i do think um i like the film um it's uh it's a scary film it's a really interesting film um it just is i i don't know i actually can't vouch for how how great it will be um audio described um, but it's a really interesting film, and again, something you don't see very often, um, which is a um, you know a deaf protagonist. I mean, and and I mean she is the protagonist. I mean, there is only three people like in the entire film. Um, the um, the uh, if you like trashy horror, like really like exploitation, like really over the top, batshit crazy stuff. The Perfection is a movie that. You don't hear about talked about on Netflix, but um, but the thing is, is that it is, and it, I think, and it's very, um, it's basically about two women um, who uh, who develop a relationship, and you can't quite tell. They both seem slightly off, and you can't quite tell what is going on here. And what I will say is, of any film that's come out in the last few years, it's probably the one that you can predict where it's going the least. And every twenty minutes, you're just like holy crap, it just completely changed what I thought this movie was over and over again. So it is one to, even if in the first 15 minutes it feels on the slow side, you want to stick with it. And I think once it gets going, you'll have a better, you'll have a better sense of, is this for me or not? But it is, it is over the top and it is, it is crazy and twisty. Um, and again, you know, I don't, I don't recommend, like a lot of the films I'm talking about are not overly twisty in plot where every 15, 20 minutes, everything's turning back on itself. But I will say the perfection is, and I'll also say it doesn't cheat. Like it does it, what it does, it does really well. Um, and so I think it's, um, 
I think it's a lot of fun and really disturbing as well. Um, and then, uh, and, um, and the, the other film on Netflix that I personally really love, although I think mileage may vary based on how people feel about it, is a movie called Cam, C-A-M. Um, and it is um, most like, for anyone who's ever seen Black Mirror um, or watched Black Mirror, it's basically, um, it's almost like a long episode of Black Mirror set in the world of, um, of, uh, of sex work online. And so it's not a, it's not a especially sexy movie, although it's about, it's about, um, the main protagonist is a woman who does, uh, cam work online. So, uh, performing for people online, they pay her. And the interesting thing about the movie is that it's written by a woman who used to do that. Um, and it's a very, it, unlike every other movie that is about the field of sex working, um, it is, it doesn't rely on any stereotypes. It's very honest. But it's not even what the movie's about. It's really about um, it's really about uh, when you put yourself out on social media and the internet, do you lose control of 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 the message of who you are? Um, and it takes it to a supernatural level. So I mean, things we all face pretty much with social media, um, and it takes that to a supernatural level. And so it's really more about modern technology. I think it's set in the world of these cam girls because it's it's written by a woman who um who used to do that and it it only makes the story that much more powerful um but again you know in a world where not enough um horror movies written by women get heavily promoted uh i was thrilled i saw this at a festival and then i was thrilled to see netflix buy it and get behind it and it really is again something more honest than i think you see in a lot of horror movies um so it is, um, it's a little on the slow side. It's very, like I said, story-driven, um, small cast, but it, it's an interesting message. And I think it is, it is, it's pretty haunting. If not, it's not jump scary. It's just more, it's more on the haunting side. Um, so, um, and then I'll jump to a bunch on Amazon Prime um, that I love. And some of these are more genuinely scary. Um, and so, and some of these are trashy, I'll own it. And some of these, you know, um, and some of these are great. So I mentioned before that I love hereditary. Hereditary is definitely story driven and it's way more in the line of Rosemary's baby, um, of, of, of gaslighting and, and conspiracy and we're wondering about mental health versus what's going on. Um, I'm sure many of you probably have seen it. Um, I love it. Some people hate it. I totally get it. Um, and again, like I've seen it probably four or five times. I think it's one of those rare movies, kind of actually like the Babadook, like Rosemary's Baby, that if you watch it more than once, everything is in there for a reason. Um, yep. Sorry, did you want to jump in? No, I just I agree. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just think it's um, everything's in there for a reason. Every line of dialogue is in there for a reason. And I love that in a movie that is almost unforgiving like it doesn't slap you over the head over and over it tells you something once and then goes with it um i think i think it's a horrific movie um and i think um uh i think uh uh tony collette is just i mean worth, amazing it's worth it, yeah she's genius i mean she's a genius in everything she's in um but i mean i i you know it's one of it's one of my favorite movies of the last decade and i just think it is phenomenal um on the um uh, you know, also, again, if I'm just talking about blockbusters that are on Amazon Prime that are audio described as well, 
I mean, I thought Get Out was also phenomenal, and Get Out is on there. I think Get Out, you know, I, I think it is, um, there's not a lot of movies that do satire well with horror, and I thought Get Out did it, where it is like, it is, it is funny, and it's the kind of funny where you're laughing and you're uncomfortable laughing. And it is, I mean, it is just a work of genius. And again, I love movies like Rosemary's Baby or anything where, again, the idea of gaslighting or the idea of, okay, is this, is it, is everybody in on it? Is no one in on it? Is it just me kind of thing? Um, obviously, Get Out is a little more over the top in terms of telling you what's going on, but it's still just completely is phenomenal as a movie. Um, it's not that cheap on Amazon right now, but another, I, there was a movie that came out a couple months ago that is also satire and horror that I can't believe I really, really liked because I thought it was not going to work. Um, which some of you may have heard because it's been pretty controversial, but it's called the hunt, um, with Hilary Swank. Um, it played in movie theaters the day before America shut down. So no one saw it in the movie theaters and it immediately went to streaming for rental and it is, it is, um, it is a flip side for those of you who've seen The Purge, either the TV series or the movie. It's a flip side to The Purge in that it is, it's a twist on the most dangerous game, which is um, uh, liberals basically kidnap conservatives to uh, try to kill them. And the movie is not. Um, it is weirdly enough the movie. Smartly enough, the movie does not pick sides in politics, which is what makes it work. Um, and it is not afraid to have laughs at the expense of both. And it is a million times smarter than I ever thought it would be. And I, I mean, I really thought it was going to be cheap and trashy. And instead, it's genuinely funny and genuinely shocking as well. Um, and it is, it's not, I mean, it, I'm not going to say it's the smartest film in the world. It's not. I mean, its satire is still pretty broad, but um, but as someone who went into it with low expectations, I was like, oh my God, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't get to see this in the theater. Um, I even had tickets to see it in the theater. And then of course, you know, New York City shut down and, um, you know, and so, uh, and but it, it is worth it. And again, it's fine to hold off until it's free streaming. Right now, it's like a pretty new release. So it's still, you know, rental. Um, but it's definitely, um, worth seeing. And then the other, as you can tell, by the way, like half of these films are half humor, half horror. And then the other half are like hardcore horror. Um, on the, on the, on the humor side for me, again, another film that I went to see that I thought would be one of the worst films. I expected to be one of the worst films of the year. And instead I was just blown away by it is, um, PG-13 is Happy Death Day, um, which came out a few years ago which is Groundhog Day meets Friday the 13th, which is just a woman keeps uh, getting chased by, a, by someone who's trying to kill her in a mask and has to keep reliving the day over and over again until she can figure out what's going on. And it is, it's not scary, um, but it is funny. And it's actually weirdly, um, even though it's not scary, you can't stop watching until you, until you know exactly what's going on. So it is... Uh, it is kind of weirdly amazing. Um, and again, not quite like anything else I'd, I'd seen before. Um, it has a terrible sequel, um, but, um, but the, original is, uh, the original is great. Um, the, um, God, I'm looking at my list now, and half the stuff on Amazon Prime is like humor, horror, and then the rest is scary. 
Um, one more, um, one more kind of um, funny one on there that I'll just mention is, um, and again, I know so many horror people hate this movie with a passion. So I can already, even though you're all muted, I can already picture half of you being like, Ugh. but I really love, um, I really love Drag Me to Hell um, by Sam Raimi, who did Evil Dead, um, which is really just a movie about a girl who pisses off the wrong woman who places a curse on her and her chase, you know, her doing everything she can to try to lift the curse. And it is, if you've ever seen like early Sam Raimi stuff, like not the first Evil Dead, but the second Evil Dead or the third Evil Dead, or, I mean, it falls into line with it being like, it's, it's horrific and it is, but it is meant to be laughed at because it's so ridiculous that you can't do anything but laugh at it. Um, and uh, so those are, those are my picks for some of the stuff that's funny. Some of the stuff that's not funny and genuinely scary on Amazon Prime that you can see is, um, is uh, so I'll say again, um, so again, there's a uh, one that is still, you'll have to pay some money to rent if you're interested in it, but it came out a few months ago is the remake of The Invisible Man, um, which again is another film that when I saw the preview, I thought, I don't think this is going to be great. And it, it's going to be, it's going to end up as being one of my best movies of the year. I think um, it is effectively, you know, if you've ever seen the old Julia Roberts movie, sleeping with the enemy, it's basically sleeping with the enemy, except that he's invisible. Um, but it is, it's played much more seriously than that and looks much more at kind of, I think domestic violence a little more than that. And it is, again, it is genuinely really suspenseful. It's not jump scary, um, but it is, it's genuinely suspenseful. It is a lot of dialogue, so I imagine it 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 will, um, it'll 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 be easy again with the audio description to follow as well. Um, but it's very um, it's very smart, um, smarter than it had any right to be, or any smarter than it needed to be. Weirdly, and it just turned out to be this really. I can see why it was a hit. Um, it deserves to be a hit. Uh, the um, in terms of um, isolation and. Uh, as someone who's been in his apartment, his one bedroom apartment for 11 weeks and has not seen another person. Um, I can really relate to um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is on Amazon Prime, which if you've seen Cloverfield, you don't need to, and this has nothing to do with it. Um, they're just a bunch of movies with the same name that barely tie into each other. And this one really doesn't, but this is effectively, you know, again, many of you probably have seen it pretty famous, but uh, John Goodman, um, but I mean, woman who, effectively uh, uh, has been kidnapped and finds herself in a bunker with two other guys being told that she can't go outside because the world is coming to an end. She doesn't really know if the world's coming to an end or whether these two guys, one of whom does not seem too sane, is really just kidnapping her. So it is genuinely disturbing and suspenseful. Um, the, um, uh, the, uh, I am one of the, yep, sorry. Oh, Anthony, I thought you jumped in. Sorry. Oh, no. The, um, uh, uh, the other, so I am not someone who has, um, has loved 90% of what M. Night Shyamalan has done outside of The Sixth Sense. Um, and uh, most of his movies, I just think, are not, they don't play fair. Um, and uh, meaning that he comes up with a twist and then backs out of it, and it doesn't seem to ring true to me. Um, but, uh, but before he did split, which was big and I like split, I don't think it's great, but I like split, but he did, um, a movie called the visit, 
which is this super low budget movie just about two kids that go visit their grandparents and both their grandparents just seem completely insane and they were just terrified of their grandparents. And I actually think, weirdly enough, I think it's his best film. Um, and I just think it is, it's also funny, um, but it's, it's mostly quite, quite scary. And I think really um, uh, plays in, because it's all told from the kid's point of view and it's really told from the kid's point of view, it definitely plays into that fear when you have of a kid of how scary adults can be and trying to figure out whether they're actually just scary because they're adults or scary because they're nuts. Um, and it is, again, it's way, way better than I had ever expected it would be. Um, a couple more, um, on here. Uh, am I going too fast, Anthony? Am I, I mean, no, I think we're doing good. Great. Okay. Um, and then a couple more on here. Um, one on here is audio described and I think it's a fantastic movie. Again, I don't know how, how well, um, how well it, it will come across. Um, but, um, but I love um, Don't Breathe, um, which is on Amazon Prime as well, um, which, uh, which is about, you know, three, three 20-somethings or late teens who break into a house to steal from a guy who is blind. Um, and the guy is way more um, capable of defending himself and his home than they expect. Um, and it is, it's a really interesting film. Um, and, uh, it is, it is definitely very suspenseful. Um, and, uh, and at least does not hesitate to kind of make, that no one, no one in the movie comes off as, as a particularly great human being, which in some ways makes it, I think, more interesting as a film. Um, and there are sequences of people who are, you know, standing in a hallway, hoping the guy will walk past them where there's not a lot of dialogue. And I mean, but in general, though, there are, you know, there's, you know, there's a bunch of people in the movie. Um, it is told pretty much in real time, which I like. And I think it, um, again, it, it's not quite like a lot of other things out there. Um, there's a, uh, there is a, uh, uh, another horror humor film on Amazon Prime, although I think it's probably you have to pay a couple of bucks to rent it, um, called Ready or Not that came out last year, which uh, which again I really had a fun time with, and is both scary and and funny, um, uh, and uh, is effectively about a woman who, uh, on her wedding day, um, uh, is introduced to a ritual with her her husband's family that uh that she has to play a game against them um in order to be welcomed into the family and you know the game can obviously be more deadly uh than than she would think it is but it's largely funny and it's largely it plays into like a subgenre of stuff i like which is where i mean same with don't breathe frankly um which is the idea that someone's going to do something very bad and they've kind of picked the wrong person to do that bad thing to um uh, which I kind of just, um, I think is a really, I, I take personal satisfaction out of it. I guess Carrie's like that too. Although Carrie, you kind of know what's going on, but I like the, you know, there's something to be said about people who, who are not good people who think that they are doing their usual, not good stuff to someone only to learn that they may have picked on the wrong person. Um, and then the last one I'll talk about on, on, um, 
on Amazon Prime. Actually, I'll mention one other quick one really quick. Another humor horror one. Another Tony Collette one is Krampus, which is the Christmas horror movie um, on uh, on Am- and uh, which again is half humor, half scary. Um, you know, evil Santa Claus movie, um, and weirdly just more again better than it should be. Um, but nothing too nothing nothing too over the top. But the uh, there's a there's a drama on on Amazon Prime as well. That again, I'm not sure if it's free or if you have to pay a few bucks to rent it. It's a movie from last year, um, and it's mostly a drama. And I'm just bringing it up again. I know it's not traditional horror. I'm just bringing it up because it played at horror film festivals, and it's called um, it's called Swallow. Um, and I just um, uh, I I I I love this film, um, and it is it's a weird drama about a um, a housewife who is unhappy and develops um, uh, uh, pica, um, which is a disorder that uh, oh, where people yeah. eat, eat, eat non-food items. Um, and to be fair to, I mean, to be fair here to criticism, and I think the director knows this. Um, in fact, I've spoken with the director about it because I reached out to him about the movie um, is, um, you know, I think the, um, I mean, I didn't talk about this with him, but I reached out to tell him how much I loved it. But I, I think he, 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 the writer director must know this is that it's not presented exactly as most victims of pica would present. Um, in this case, it's more about um, it's more it's leading to a bigger story about how she is dealing with a, a husband and, and husband's family who are treating her badly. Um, and it is it's a quite bizarre movie, um, but it's very interesting. And again, haven't definitely have not seen too many movies that deal with this particular um, disorder. And even if it doesn't deal with it exactly as probably people with pica experience it, it certainly seems to do so respectfully. Um, and so it is, it's worth seeing. It's, it's not horror, but it is a tense movie in that the movie is constantly feeling like it is building up more and more to um to tensions between her and her husband and her husband's family and so it is it's a movie that you kind of have a knot in your stomach for most of it um and but i think the movie works um overall um and again that's just a short list i mean amazon actually weirdly enough especially if you want to spend a couple of dollars to rent something i mean amazon has a ton of horror movies i mean that are audio described from the last like three or four years not a lot from not a lot from classic, unfortunately, but it seems like almost all of the stuff that they've gotten over the last few years, they, uh, they offer as audio described. They have some, some older stuff. They have Paranormal Activity 2 and 3, um, which to me are a zillion times better than the first one. Um, I think 2 and 3 yes. are very story-driven and very interesting. Um, I mean, they build off of the first one and it helps to have seen the first one, I guess. Although, Anthony, if you've seen it, you know, not a lot happens in the first one. It's more like a gimmick. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the second and third one actually have stories to tell um, and are really interesting. Um, and because they're more about families, uh, there's just a lot more going on there. Those are both on Amazon and audio described as well. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and are worth checking out as well. Um, and... Um, yeah. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'll do, Anthony, is um, before we talk more is you want to know some of the books that influenced me um, and some of my favorite horror books of all time. 
Yes, um, but before you get into that list, if I can just break in yep. for a moment. Sure, I didn't know absolutely. we were streaming tonight. So we are on ACB radio tonight. So if you are listening okay. and want to join the conversation when Matt is finished with his book list, if you have questions or you want to banter back and forth, you can find the link to the Zoom on Blind Pride's Facebook page. That's Blind Pride International on Facebook. I am Anthony Corona. It is also, like the beer, it is also posted on my Facebook page. I'm sorry, but at the moment, I don't have access to the actual call-in numbers. So if you look in those two places, you can join us. Go ahead, Matt. Cool. Your books. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so for books, uh, again, I mean, I've read, every, I've read so many horror books. And it's hard to pick a bunch of favorites, so I'll just pick some that influenced me. I will tell you that I tend to read more short stories than novels, um, which I know is really weird. And it just is, I just love short stories and horror in particular. I think in some ways you can sustain horror better over 20 pages or 30 pages than over 200. Um, So like a short story, I think can actually terrify you. While most of these horror novels are disturbing more than scary. Um, But I will tell you my favorites. or at least some of my, at least give you a handful of my favorites. Um, and again, these are all available at least on Audible. So audiobooks do exist for all of these. Um, I'll start with uh, I'll start with the other by Thomas Tryon, um, gay author. Um, and uh, and again, just this classic novel that you know, weirdly enough, when it came out was almost as big as The Exorcist. It sold like four million copies. Everyone and their mother was reading this book. And it is, um, which is really, and I'm not going to really tell you what it's about other than it's just about, um, it's just about two brothers, um, two little kids um, uh, who, you know, you know, seem to have something wrong going on. And, um, and it is, um, you know, it played in the wake of, of, you know, books about kids, like, I mean, movies like The Omen and stuff like that. Um, but really it was huge. And then it completely went out of print forever. It's now available in print in like a small press edition, but there is an audio book of it. But I mean, it is a, it is a classic and it is again, one of those books that I don't think there's a paragraph in it that shouldn't be there for a reason once you finish the book. Like, I mean, I think everything, every line is in there for a reason and you just don't see a lot of books like that. Um, it's one of those books you'd love to read again to go back and see uh, what you didn't catch. It's amazing. I mean, I mean, reading yeah. it a second time is actually just as satisfying because it really is a, um, I mean, that's, how, that's kind of how I feel about movies like Hereditary too, which is, I kind of like them more sometimes the second time where you're just like, oh, this is way, this is way more fleshed out and brilliant than I even gave it credit for. Um, two other books from the last, weirdly from the last, from the 21st century that I feel also every line is perfect and in there for a reason. Um, one is The Ruins by Scott Smith, which is, um, which will go down as one of, I think, one of the most disturbing novels to me I've ever read. Um, and uh, I mean, I think most of you have probably read it or seen the book or heard about it, but it is about a you know bunch of friends that go hiking and uh, end up hiking into a place that they shouldn't. And, you know, it becomes a challenge to whether they can you know, survive uh, what is a very strange and deadly threat. And it is just very, it is one of those books that you just put yourself in a situation and you just wonder if you would be able to survive the situation or not. Um, And I just find it, it's the, um, I mean, just from a writing point of view, it's also particularly interesting because it is, 
it is not broken up by chapters. It is effectively one, you know, 300 page chapter. And which is probably, I think, goes to why many people have read it in one sitting. I read it in one sitting. I mean, it is, it is, it is, um, it is extremely fast moving and just very uh, immersive in a way that I think is, is tough. Um, the, um, I will add in again, and I know some people will not consider this horror, they'll just consider it a thriller, but going by my movie picks, you're not going to be surprised to learn that probably my, my favorite novel of the last 10 years um, is Gone Girl, um, which I just think is crazy, amazing satire of marriage and horrific thriller. Um, I mean, it is, and again, certainly everybody on here knows about it. Whether you've read it or not, or whether you think you know what it's about, you may not. Movie's fine. I think the book is is genius. A thousand and, times better. Yeah. I mean, it is just a it is a work of genius, and the author, all her books are fantastic. You know, she did Sharp Objects. She did. Uh, she, uh, she did a. Um, uh, oh my God, uh, the uh, uh, third one. I want to say uh, Dark Place, but it's not. Um, but the. Um, um, but I mean, it is. Um, it is just a because it is funny as well as 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 tense a uh, dark places right yeah um, it is there's just something about it that works and it is again one of those books that every line is in there for a reason and every it works um, and it is I totally get why people hate it but I also think it is it is it, it's a work of art and again I'll always even if I go to a book on Amazon and I see reviews are mixed, I'll always dive in because I'll always want to read a book that has people split over one stars versus five stars, as opposed to a book where everybody gives it three stars. You know, if everybody's like, eh, you know, who cares? But like you get those divisive books and I'm like, okay, well, chances are I'm going to be, you know, a sick person who thinks it's amazing. And in this case, I was. Um, uh, and again, not one of my favorite books of all time, but if you guys are looking for more recent books, um, there was a book two years ago that I do think is one of the few horror books that actually kind of broke out and sold quite a bit. Not huge. Horror is hard to sell nowadays, but um, it's called Baby Teeth. Um, and uh, by, I wish I knew how to pronounce her name. It's Z-O-J-E. Stage is her last name. It's just a new book coming out soon. Um, and it is, it is, for anybody who ever loves movies about evil kids whether it's like orphan or the omen or stuff like that i mean this is basically just about a mother who is at war with her i think the kid is six years old and the kid is mute and they are just in a battle of wills and it is every other chapter is told from each other's point of view which again i don't see very often in terms of of, I mean, it's basically a gone girl, except that you're dealing with a six-year-old and this mother. And it is, it is surprisingly dark and, and, and disturbing um, and really well done. And again, divisive. Not everyone liked it. Um, but, you know, I'm always up for a good, like, evil kid story, whether it's, like, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, there's just, you know, there's something really satisfying and kind of scary about um about a good about a you know a good evil kid story um you know even going back to turn of the screw i mean you know you can't go wrong with that stuff um or the exorcist the but seed. the um or the bad seed which again weirdly enough i mean talk about movies talk about things that don't hold up so well i mean the bad seed is 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 
so much fun, but it is trash, man. I mean, it is just a, I mean, it is just a, there's something, there is something just really over the top about it that I find fascinating. Um, Anthony, I think we've even talked about this in the past, but there's actually a remake TV movie of it, um, which is actually even better because it's even darker yes. and nastier and trashier, which is amazing. So like, I really do like, I mean, I, I always will love the bad seed. I think the original movie is super, um, is super, it's super flawed, campy now. but I think, uh, what'd you say? It's super campy now. And it wasn't intended it, to be when it was released. Yeah. And it has a, has a, and it has a cop out. It has a, you know, it, it doesn't handle the ending well, as opposed to the book and the play. And even the, you know, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the book and the play and even that remake work much better, but there is something just super fun about it. And, you know, it just is, um, you know, it just is something, there's something about it. The, um, I'll, I'll, I will, one more one more horror book that's recent before I go back to some older ones that again is super divisive. A lot of people don't like, it's not that big, although it is people who read a lot of horror um, uh, have read his books. The author is Nick Cutter, C-U-T-T-E-R. He did a book called The Troop, um, which is similar to The Ruins in some ways about a group of high school uh, uh, boy scouts that end up on an island with a disease that's out of control so it's like lord of the flies meets the ruins um which is great and it's it's fun and it's twisted and it's sick and it's a, and it's called the troop and it's worth it's definitely fantastic i actually preferred his novel the deep even more which is just about a scientist who goes to an underwater uh facility where strange things are happening and it is if you've ever seen, you know, one of my favorite horror movies is Videodrome by David Cronenberg. And I appreciate movies that are surreal, but still keep a firm grip on the story. Like they're not surreal in that it doesn't make sense. They're just surreal in that it, it breaks, it, nothing happens the way it necessarily you think it should. But by the end, it kind of has built its own way of telling things. And The Deep does that. But I will just warn you, it is a... It is. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a. It is a dark book, an unpleasant book, but it is scary. It's one of the few. One of the few novels I think in the last ten years that I think has actually scared me that I had to put down and come back to for certain parts because I just did not. It, it, it almost was unpleasant. Um, but I mean that's horror, and I mean that's you know that's what I look for in horror, and you know you want to. It's like living vicariously. Like you don't actually want to accept real life. So it's like, you know, so this is the right way to be able to experience those emotions of like fear um, and terror. But I think it, there were scenes in the deep that bothered me. Um, I will, um, as long as I'm talking about extremely um, controversial stuff, one of the most controversial novels of all time um, is The Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum. Um, and the author, the author was a friend of mine um, who passed away from cancer uh, a year ago. And um, brilliant author, brilliant author, brilliant horror author. Almost none of his stuff was supernatural. It's almost all, um, it's almost all real, and it's almost all of it takes its. Um, an, uh, a lot of it is based in some capacity on real, true life stories. Um, and the girl next door is based on a true story um, that took place actually not that far from where I grew up in Jersey just about um, a, uh, a family, uh, a twisted, a, a family and their friends who out of jealousy um, all pretty much keep a, uh, a, a, a neighbor, a, a young teenage girl captive um, and, uh, and treat her terribly. 
um, almost out of jealousy that she has, you know, what they can't have. And it is a, and it's told in the first person um, from one of the boys who is watching it happen, who is the, the, the moral compass in the story um, and understands what's going on is wrong. And it is just very, it's a very famous book. Stephen, there was a reissue of it that Stephen King gave an intro to listing it as one, I think one of his, I think he listed it as one of his favorite books of all time. Um, and it is, again, not for the faint of heart. And it is, it is, it is a nasty look into how bad people can be, but <clears throat> it's a very famous book. Um, Anthony, have you read it? I have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is tough book, it, tough book to read. It's not gory. It's just mm. gripping. It's gripping in an ugly way. It's ugly. I mean, it's ugly and it's horrific. Ugly. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it is based on a true crime incident, and so you just have to, you know, it is. It's not a book that has an ounce of humor or pleasure in it. It is just. Um, but it is, and most of Jack Ketchum's stuff is not funny. Most of Jack Ketchum's stuff is truly horrific, and the fact that he rarely uses <laughs> supernatural stuff just. Um, I think he doesn't. I think he did intentionally, really, just to hit home, you know, how unpleasant, you know, humans can be. And of course, the irony is that Jack Ketchum himself, his real name was Dallas Mayer, was one of the nicest human beings in, in the world. I mean, it is. It's hard to imagine another nice human being. I mean, you know, the guy had like I don't even know how many cats. Um, but I mean, among other things. But I mean, just so nice. Um, and every. I mean, just beloved by. Um, beloved by everyone. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, so I just think it is, uh, it's one to, I, I think it's one to think about, um, let's put it that way. And so I think, um, uh, another, for those of you who do like short stories, I will tell you that my favorite short story collection, um, outside of the last, um, I don't know, a couple of decades is probably 20th Century Ghosts by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son. Um, and, um, and I just think I love all of Joe Hill stuff. His novels are fantastic. Um, Heart Shaped Box, Nosferatu, uh, uh, um, The Fireman and, uh, Horns, um, which is a movie with Daniel Radcliffe, um, but read the book, but his short stories I just <laughs> think are, are phenomenal. And again, I love short stories. I think there's not a bad short story in there. It's genius. He's also one of the nicest people in the world, like his father. And so like the, um, um, and I think, and again, it's not, you know, in some ways it's not surprising that they're nice because what makes Stephen King and Joe Hill work, I think, is that all of their stories have empathy in them with the people that bad things are happening to. And I think that's what's key. So I don't, I don't read a lot of horror that is, or watch, or I don't love a lot of horror movies where you're meant to laugh at bad things, at, at bad things happening to people. And even in the movies I mentioned before that are half humor, you're still on the side of the, you're still on the side of the person that bad things are happening to. Um, uh, I, I mean, you're you're on the side of good people as opposed to there are movies, you know, especially in the torture porn genre, you know, like Saw and stuff like that, where you're half meant to laugh at some of the bad stuff that's going on to these people. And it's just something that rubs me the wrong way. But I think Jack Ketchum, Joe Hill, Stephen King, they all have an enormous amount of empathy for the people in their stories. And I just think um, that those short stories in there run the gamut from extremely gory and disturbing to very soft and gentle and still very disturbing. Um, and uh, so a couple, let's see, a couple other 
again, I don't know where people's readings love um, lie. If you do, I mean, obviously, I'll, I'm going to mention Stephen King. I love so much of Stephen King. I'm not going to sit here and go through all his novels. Um, I will say that the, um, the novel of his that I think probably in some ways um, is, again, maybe I think this work of genius is misery. Um, I think it is so short and such a brilliant um, yep. You know, a brilliant, you know, it's a two, it's a cat and mouse game. And again, as with, even with Gone Girl or with, um, you know, you know, it is, there's something, there's something to be said about someone who can actually write a powerful book or, or do a powerful movie that is basically a battle of wits between two people. Um, and so I think misery is the ultimate in that, in that realm. Um, and I just think it is, it is incredibly smart and incredibly insightful about how what people look for in books. Um, again, I love Stephen King, all his short story collections. I'm obsessed with, I'm reading if it bleeds now, the new novella collection. I mean, I think his, I mean, but like, you know, when it comes to his novels, I, again, I love them all. I love, I think Christine Firestarter are sweet spots for me, but there's and the long walk, but the misery is the misery is something for me that I just think, I remember reading it when I was a teenager and I have read it many times since. And I'm just like, it holds up, it holds up really well. And it is, it's, 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 it's quite brilliant. Um, and so um, a couple more really quick um, for people who are looking for a good coming of age story. Um, uh, that is more, I wouldn't say it's, it is horror. It's completely horror. Um, but is, but is, Sweet. It also has a sweet side. Is um, Neverland by Douglas Clegg, um, another gay author, uh, good friend of mine who um, I think is a brilliant writer, and I think Neverland is one of his best. Um, and again, really like um, you know, uh, like maybe like Robert McCammon's Boy's Life or other things, or even like a like Stand by Me is a coming of age tale um, of people who are looking to kind of look at characters that are you know teenagers on the cusp of, you know, becoming adults. Um, and then for, you know, if there's anyone on here who is like the most twisted individual who's looking for like how crazy can crazy go? Um, there's an author called Bentley Little, who I think is genius, who, again, if you look up his reader reviews on Amazon, you're going to see very divisive. It's a love it or hate it affair. And he's almost like Kurt Vonnegut in with horror in that it is mostly satire but the horror is so over the top that you don't know whether to scream or just laugh because it is so crazy. And one of his craziest books is called The Store, which was written a long time ago, which is, you know, a not very thinly veiled, you know, actually, I mean, you know, it's, it's basically not very subtle swipe at Walmart um, or Kmart or, or any major chain store. And the, the insidious nature it could have on a small community. Um, and basically in this store, it is really, I mean, it is, it is more of, um, I guess what I would call an anthology book in that there's a lots of characters and you're seeing lots of things happen to different characters. So it's almost like lots of little stories happening, but it is basically about a store where, you know, if you know where to look in that store or, you know, or the store knows how to provide you exactly what you're looking for. So like it's a store where, if I remember correctly, like, all the pornography is on the lowest shelf of the store where only the toddlers can find it. I mean, it is like, it is a crazy book and it is one of his most perverse. It is, it was made, you know, it's, it's I mean, it was published by Penguin. It was, I mean, it, you know, it was a major, um, you know, he has many books out, 
most of them are crazy. The store is one of its craziest. It is not for the, um, it is not for the, I guess the lightly offended, I would say in that it is, um, it's, um, it is, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it is just, so I think for those of you who are almost looking for like, you know, again, how nuts can you go? Bentley Little is up there um, where you never know what's going to happen next. And he shares, um, he shares something with, you know, um, I mean, Anthony can attest to this too, but like two of my favorite authors growing up were V.C. Andrews and John Saul. And I do consider V.C. Andrews horror. I mean, it's gothic horror, um, but I consider it um, again, that kind of like very close kind of, and again, those books that she wrote, I just think are genius. Flowers in the Attic is a masterpiece, but even the sequels I think are even, even darker and, and, and crazier and more fantastic. And I think John Saul had an interesting, I think what made John Saul so interesting to me is that kind of similar to what you saw maybe with YA authors like Lois Duncan, John Saul had no problem taking a main character and killing them 30 pages into the book, Uh, Uh which I think is, which I think is what makes those kind of books scary in a horror movie kind of way, which is, you unlike unlike most horror novels, you kind of assume that the main character is going to make it. And then John Saul is like, you know, this character, eh, screw it, kill him. And so I will say that Bentley Little picks up on that trait, which is that he could spend he in any of his books, he might spend 15 pages giving you a backstory on the person, introducing you to them, and then spending two pages immediately killing them, just so you got to know them first. And it's really weird and it really but it really works and it really makes the book scarier um for anyone who is looking for a john saul book i'll tell you that my favorite john saul novel is one that is completely unlike all his other books which is called the god project um more evil kid books but the um but basically it's about a scientific experiment where they try to turn little kids into superhuman of some sort and they're experimenting on kids and it's about the families trying to um to track down where their kids are. And you're being told an alternating point of view from the kids who are being tested to the parents who are trying to track them down. And it is a, it's a vicious book, but it's also really, um, really smart. And, and one of his darkest and, you know, John Saul, I think, you know, some of his books play with a similar theme of like a crime happened a long time ago. Sins of the fathers are visited upon the kids. That is not in here. And it is something that is, half science fiction, half horror, um, which uh, is unique among him. So, um, and I think, um, you know, and again, the last book I'll give a call out to, a classic book, if you haven't read it, is The Haunting of Hill House by Shari Jackson. Shari Jackson Uh is a genius. And again, I mean, I mean, classic, you know, again, classic horror written by a woman deals with sexuality. I mean, you know, deals with mental depression. You're, you know, bit of gaslighting. You're not sure exactly what's going on, what's real and what's not. It is short and fast. The TV series that is on Netflix is, is great, but it's not the book. I mean, like the book is the book and there's never been a movie. There are movies based on it. None of them get what makes that book special. And I just think it is, it is more literary than obviously a lot of things I'm talking about in terms of its time getting into the story. Um, But it is, it is a classic that is worth um, it's worth listening to. So, so Anthony, that was my horror in a nutshell. Um, my, my my cram session for for my guide to horror. 
Well, thank you for the crim session. Um, I, you know, I'm going to ask the classic question before we open it up to sure. uh, to our call. You know, our listeners. Yeah, of the main three. Uh, you know, and I put this out in the in the PR for this of the main three: Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers. Which do you think is the best of horror? It's Freddie for me, although, again, I've seen every single one of those movies that every single one of those characters has been in. And I mean, and although keep in mind that, you know, it's not really like Jason was in Friday the 13th anyway. But the um, but um, I mean, I mean, Freddie in the first movie. And again, this is not like the sequels where they turned him into like this antihero. I mean, Freddie, that was a that was an incredibly terrifying character, you know, pedophile, you know, I mean, really nasty who. It was not about making jokes. It was about torture and hurt. And it, it terrified me. And I was 14, 13 when that movie came out. And I saw it in the theater. And I slept with the lights on for a month after that. And I was terrified. I love, I love the original Halloween as being this very atmospheric thriller. Um, I think the second Halloween is hilariously crazy, which I also saw in the theater where you're just like takes place in this hospital where there is not a patient to be seen as yes. far as the eye can see. Which yes. is amazing. It's so dark. I mean, it literally, yes. <laughs> it, it literally is filmed. It literally appears to be filmed in, a, in an empty hospital that was rented to be empty. I mean, and it's all the lights are out. It is, it is, it is worth watching if you've had a drink or, you know, smoked a joint or something and just laughing because it is, it's horror. I mean, it's very violent. And it's very gory, but I mean, it is ridiculous. Um, and then Jason, you know, I actually really love Friday the 13th. And those first few, four or five movies were, were actually very scary. Um, they're cheesy, but they're scary. There came a point in the series where they brought him back after they killed him off that it became more of a comedy. Um, and there just wasn't, uh, excuse me, um, there just wasn't enough for me. Of course, I kept seeing them. I kept seeing every single one. Um, there wasn't enough for me to get out of it. Um, and I will say with Halloween, there is never truly, outside of the Rob Zombie remake, which I'm not counting, um, which is just terrible, there's never, been a, there's never been a bad Halloween movie. Like even the worst of the actual, and I love Halloween 3, by the way. The, one, the little like girl? Virus, but, but is the best. Halloween 3 is my favorite. Um, no, Halloween 3 is the, the science fiction supernatural crazy one that's right um, yes but the, the um, essence which is the spirit. awesome yeah. yes um yes. but the there's never been a outside of those rob zombie remakes which are very misogynistic i mean and i mean i any, anything that i mean anything that kind of to me uses you know rape as a device is i mean just terrible in this case i mean it's just those movies are tasteless and terrible um but i mean the um but the the movies themselves there's never really been a bad Halloween movie. Some have been better than others. And I mean, like, and some are cheesier than others, but there's always, they're always, you can actually turn any of them on and be, and be pretty assured you're going to have a good time watching it as opposed to Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street where it's all over the map. So I think for me, Freddy wins as like the, the most horrific uh, villain as presented, but overall, as a series goes, Halloween has been remarkably, strong as a series even if they've you know come up with multiple different versions of the universe it lives in and stuff like that they kind of always take it seriously again outside of the rob zombie movies um so that's my answer on that 
How do you feel about the Amityville horror and the subsequent different universes that they created with that series? Oh my God. I love the original Amityville. I love the book. I, I grew up on the book. I mean, I feel terrible now because, you know, if you go back and watch like my Amityville horror, the documentary with the one kid who's still around and you can just tell like how horrific the Lutzes were. And how, I mean, it's just a horrible, it's a horrible story and how those kids were treated as horrible. Um, but as a, that's treated as fiction and it's fiction the book works and the original movie works the remake with ryan reynolds not so much um but weirdly enough that second movie <laughs> the possession yes. is actually yeah. it's actually a crazy movie because it's two movies in one right the first is a prequel where it's this terrifyingly realistic and horrifying account of what happened in the house before the lusts come where it is from a true crime point of view so brutal that it's deeply unpleasant. And then the second half is this crazy exorcist like comedy almost of like <laughs> over the top supernatural. And it's, it's one of the most schizophrenic movies you could ever hope to see. And then, you know, and then you could see Amityville 3D with Phoebe Cates. I mean, like, there's all the other ones are, are, are terrible, including like there's one with like the haunted hourglass, I think with Patty Duke, maybe a TV movie. I mean, there's like, it, there's never ending, but I will say like the, it work, like I understand why it works, but the more you go into the backstory, both of the Lutzes and of the Warrens who, you know, for the conjuring and stuff, that just becomes very sad. And I mean, um, and I mean, for those interested in it, it's worth looking up the documentary, Miami of Horror. It obviously doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have the audio described. It's just, an, it's just interviews with the, uh, the son who is very mentally ill. Yeah. Um, very, yes. yeah, very mentally ill. And it's very sad. Yeah. It's very sad. And it just makes you realize like, almost like the collective shame in some ways we all have to feel in, in taking these true stories and then fictionalizing them and, and, and laughing at, you know, I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very weird. I mean, there's, it's hard not to feel guilty watching it being like, eh, I mean, it wasn't, of course it's not us that did it, but it, it does make you realize that behind the, behind the story, while some people were getting rich, other people were, having their lives ruined and it just makes you it makes you think but again as a as a work of fiction both the original the mood the, the the novel is fantastic i mean as a work of fiction uh, it is a novel the word in the novel is fantastic that movie is cheesy but i mean frankly i think margot kidder is a is a great actress and i think you know yeah. she doesn't get enough credit and i kind of think she she's awesome in everything she did like if you go back she was in a lot of terrible stuff but like i mean she's always great you know i mean like i mean so i just think she elevates everything to a different level and i think she is you know what makes that work in some ways and the interplay between her and james brolin i mean he's not you know he's not a, a an incredibly great actor mr barbara streisand but the two of them were at their best in that movie for sure Free hotel Exactly. To go <laughs> yeah. on. I mean, so like, but the, and again, I like him too, and it's fine. And, and again, it, it understood, I think, the family dynamic more than the remake did. Um, and it's not a knock at Ryan Reynolds either. I just think the movie was a weirdly just a mess. Um, but I mean, everybody who's seen that movie at least remembers like certain, like the dream sequence and stuff. Like there are moments in the film that managed to be iconic, um, mostly because I feel like back then, unlike the remake, I think the movie, like, it knew how to pick its shots. Like, it knew, like, there was only, like, two or three moments in the movie that were gonna, that were gonna hit home, and it made those moments work. And I think that's kind of yeah. how you categorize some of those old horror movies, which is, yes. 
like they you kind of like as opposed to the whole movie being scary it was like you know we're just going to take like i mean you can even look at recent movies like hereditary where like it takes like two or three things and you're like you may not remember everything else but let me tell you for the rest of your life you're going to remember those couple things and i i love movies like that so you mentioned two movies that are on my list, like, you know, big time. Rosemary's Baby, for me, mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw it when I was a kid. I probably shouldn't have seen it. It's the same thing with the other movie that I'll say. I probably shouldn't have seen it when I saw it. But, you know, even when I went back years later, first it took me back to that, you know, seven, eight-year-old kid that watched it the first time. But also, it's just gripping from the moment it starts. You know, you're in it. You're in, you know, you're with her the entire time. And that kind of movie really just you know and it's a resonates genius, to me and it's, and it's a genius novel i mean ira levin yeah. i mean the thing is whether yes. you look at rosemary's baby or stepford wives you know it came from a time where if a novel was supposed to be 150 pages they published it as 150 pages and i say this as someone who works in the book industry that what i miss the most is how rarely we publish novellas as standalone novellas and you know it wouldn't have, there's not an ounce of fat on either of those books, The Stepford Wives or Rosemary's yeah. Baby. And again, they are brilliant, they are brilliant books that are, that look at, at, um, you know, I mean, one is suburbia and one is, you know, I mean, you know, one isn't, but I mean, they're just, they are, they are brilliant books that look at your, I guess, integration into society in a way that is fascinating. And so again, I mean, and both those movies are fantastic as well. Um, but I got to, I mean, what great source material to work with. So, yeah, the other one on my list that you mentioned is the exorcist. And and again, I saw it, I, you know, I snuck saw it as a kid when I said notes and it scarred me, like you said, looking under the bed for months, it scarred me for a very, very long time. But you know, and again, a great book and and again, another great book, William Peter Blatty, great book. And then William Peter Blatty, you know, made exorcist three, which is the sequel um, you know, which he wrote as a book called Legion, which was a prequel. And then, you know, he made, he not only wrote, but he directed Exorcist 3, which is, I would say, in some ways scarier than the original Exorcist movie, if it's a little crazier um, and different. But it's a great film. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think, uh, I, I think it's, you know, rightly those are, you know, and again, the crazy thing about The Exorcist is that like, you know, I was arguing, you know, I mean, it, um, you know, there were all these news stories about how it was the highest grossing horror movie of all time, you know, when it made like $350 million and like that. I forget the exact number. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, the thing with The Exorcist is that like adjusted for inflation, like the number of people who saw The Exorcist in the theater, it was over $900 million in today's money in America, which is basically like as much money as Star Wars Episode Seven did like a couple of years ago when that came out. I mean, like everyone saw The Exorcist. I mean, everyone. And so you know, it's 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 crazy. You know, I was only five at the time, but I mean, it's crazy to think about a horror movie working its way into into American culture to that extent. I mean, Jaws is a horror movie too, and I count Jaws too. But I mean, The Exorcist. I mean, rated R, hardcore. You know falls to the wall horror and i mean and everyone in america had seen that movie and you know and and talked about it so just is crazy to think about you know a time when that was the case and you mentioned flowers in the attic which you know neither one of the movies the the theatrical release horrible compared to the book 
The Lifetime version did a bit better of a job telling the story, but I mean, that book itself took America by storm, you know, the world oh. by storm, you know, it was- Game changer. It, yeah, game changer completely. And and everybody listening, if you if you never read a single V.C. Andrews novel, go at least and get the first two. Flowers in the Attic and Petals in the Wind are definitively incredible pieces of gothic horror of fiction. Oh, and you know, I think, and you know, I think, I think the third book is the most horror of them all. I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's my favorite of the three, but it's definitely in some ways the most horror. I mean, like it is the most conventionally yeah. horror in some ways. So yeah. like it is, I mean, but it's a game, I mean, again, it's a game changer and it's a game changer in terms of, of, you know, it straddles the line of, of YA and adult in some ways. Um, and you know, what I should have said on my list of favorite books, by the way, is any book by Robert Cormier, whether it's like I Am the Cheese or The Chocolate War or anything like yes. that, inst- yes. instantly ranked for me as being among the most horrific books ever written and are way scarier than anything that could ever be imagined. I mean, like he wrote a couple of real horror novels like Tenderness and, um, oh my God, When the Phone Rings, I forget exactly when the call, when the call comes. He wrote a couple that were more conventional kind of horror stuff. But I mean, all his books are, the message is, life is unfair. And I mean, oof, that is a tough message. And whether yeah. you're a teenager or an adult, you're just like, those are, I mean, he's, I mean, he was genius. He was genius. And, I, you know, again, I rank I Am the Cheese probably as one of the most, uh, over, I mean, one of my favorite hard, disturbing novels of all time. Um, and so I just think, um, again, it's, you know, anyone who says, you know, YA is, not for adults is crazy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just crazy. Um, exactly. The, um, you mentioned Lois Duncan earlier, who listeners would know from, I know what you did last summer and, um, Oh God, what is the other one? The killing of Mr. Griffith. Some yep. of those, some of her novels and, and the ones locked in time, like that never became a movie. Yep. Incredibly disturbing. And it's, it's a young adult novel. Um, oh yeah. Some of the best young adult fiction is published because you know and you can you can speak to this better than i can because the publishers think that it won't carry with an adult audience where the young adult audience will still kind of believe it but then when you read it as an adult you're like this is a really good effing book you know why did they you know why did they market it this way oh i yeah i mean i think i think in some ways teenagers are able to handle reading about the death of a kid more than adults can in a lot of cases um, and so, you know, and so I think, um, you know, so it just is, yeah, I mean, I just think, I think there's a lot of fantastic dark YA fiction out there now. I think, I think there's always has been and, um, and there's, you know, no shortage of it. And I just think it's, yeah, it's amazing. So, but I mean, you all those movies that we're talking about, all those movies we're talking about, The Exorcist, you know, the other Invasion of Body Snatchers, I mean, you know, they're all based on books. Jaws. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, you know, all those, I mean, so many of, you know, I mean, you know, almost all of those, you know, big classic horror movies we're talking about, Rosemary's Baby, Separate Wives, all based on books. So. (laughs) (laughs) And they will definitely be lists of everything we talked about tonight. You will be able to find them on the BPI page. You mentioned Black Mirror before we're going to open up to callers in just a second. Are there any series right now? Um, uh, on Amazon Prime or Netflix that are, you know, absolute must-sees as far as horror yeah, is it's concerned? A good, you know, it's a good question. Um, so I, um, even I, 
even I'm mixed on Black Mirror. I think sometimes it hits it out of the park and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, I love Black Mirror. Um, I have to admit, I'm not sure what is audio described or not. Um, you know, there was a fantastic TV series or is on Shudder called Creep Show, you know, which is off of the movie, you know, which is like the movie, which is short stories, short horror stories. It's not audio described as of now. Um, although I think Shudder may be starting to get into the audio described game. I mean, hopefully they will um, with season two. Um, I think um, it's a good question. I mean, I think I think for me, episodic TV is is not where my it's not where my love is because I find the suspense hard to sustain. So I haven't yeah, watched yeah. I haven't watched the you know Stephen King's The Outsider on HBO. Um, which is the miniseries or, you know, or Gillian Flynn's uh, Sharp Objects or, I mean, other things as well. Um, you know, and so I haven't, I haven't, you know, I, I like Stranger Things a lot. I mean, but I think Stranger Things is more fun than scary. I mean, I think Stranger Things is, is more homage, you know, is, is this fantastic homage to the 80s, um, 80s horror. And I think there's horrific ideas and, and suspense in it. And I definitely recommend people watch it. I wouldn't say I find it scary um but i definitely find it really involving and and incredibly knowledgeable you know knowledge of 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 the time period that it's harkening back to um which i give it a lot of credit for um but i mean it's tougher admittedly tv is is i'm less well versed in it um i mean i tend to i try to see everything that comes out in horror and so i think for me if it's a choice between spending 10 or 20 hours or in the case of like the walking dead, like a hundred hours watching something, I'd rather watch like 50 movies or something along those lines. So, um, you know, I think, um, I think it's few and far between have been the, the series I've dived into. I have watched American horror story, every single one. I am, I just am not a fan. And yet I keep, watching it over and over and over <laughs> praying that it will i mean i mean consistently it has like this great setup of like a first or two you know first episode or two where i'm like oh it seems like a great story and then it just goes to hell in a handbasket and by the end i'm just getting drunk and yelling at the tv set and so like i just am um and i'm you know and so but i you know so i just think um i think it is it's hard. It's hard with TV, but that's not to say it can't be done. And again, I mean, I just think it's, it's not where I put my time. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of great TV out, you know, there's not a lot of great horror TV out there. All right. Well, we are going to open it up for discussion. Gabriel, if you can unmute everybody and let's be respectful. We'll try to go one at a time, not talk over each other, but Matt will answer any questions you have and we can then go with Bring what it. we've loved, what we haven't loved and have a great old conversation. Gabe? Are we all still muted? Gabe, you're muted as well. Um, <laughs> I think we can unmute ourselves. <laughs> Who else, Byron, can you let me hear? I, I have, yeah, I'm here. Um, I have okay. a comment while we're waiting for everybody to get unmuted. Sure. So um, there are three things I wanted to ask you if you've seen, <clears throat> read, or or heard of. Um, the first thing is a movie. Uh, you're going to your mind is going to jump to a specific movie by the same title. Um, there okay. is there is a a teleplay that was written by Jim Henson in 1969 called The Cube. 
Okay, the cube, right? No, I've not seen the cube. Not not so, not as cube as, as in cube, not cube, but the cube, right? That's right. I have not seen it. Is it okay. available? So um so the cube is available on YouTube, and the cool like, thing I'm about it. it up right now. It's it's in color and it's in stereo. The version that I saw was on an old VHS tape. My friends Tom and Daryl had recorded it off of, um, and b- they recorded it off of, um, I think a rerun when it was rerun in 1971, off of a uh, NBC. It was part of yeah. a um, a weekly anthology television series called NBC Experiment in Television, and it was. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, and it was a really, really, really weird. It's not very gory. In fact, it's not really gory at all. But it's very <laughs> psychologically suspenseful and just weird. It's about this man who is trapped inside of an all-white cube, and all of this weird stuff happens to him, and he can't seem to get out. And when he thinks he has the cube all figured out and stuff, there's always some twist or turn um, where he was he was completely wrong. <laughs> Um, and great. Yeah. It, it's just I'm awesome. Yeah. After this. So that's, that's on the subtle side of horror. So I'm going a little more effed up as you will, as I go. So this, <laughs> the second thing was a book by Jack Kilborn called afraid. Oh, mm-hmm. I know. Yep. I know Jack. Yep. I know that. That is an awesome book about these chemically engineered soldiers, you know, enhanced soldiers that, crash in a town and they just start killing everybody and it's crazy yep. so yeah. it definitely is definitely is it definitely is um it's kind of like um uh it's non-stop um so uh which i really which i really dig so um yeah it definitely is is hardcore like buckle up your seatbelts and just like and 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 get ready for the ride. So. Yep, yep. And then the yep. last thing I wanted to expand upon was: Have you seen a really effed up show from Sci-Fi or Siffy called Happy? So the only reason no, so I, I watched the first episode of Happy, and so you know, and I never read the uh, the comic book that it's based on either. So I know about it, and most of my friends who love horror absolutely love it. I just haven't gotten around to, to watching it yet. But, I mean, they all worship it, so. It, it was good, but it was very messed up. Um, so, essentially, I'll, I'll sort of compact it for you really quickly. A a child is, adu- is, is, abduct- is abducted, abducted, excuse me, um, and her imaginary friend goes out and finds her father, her, her estranged father that she doesn't know. And he's a alcoholic drug using cop who is just sloppy drunk all the time. And uh, he and happy, the imaginary friend um, end up rescuing her from a, from like a a pedophile ring. And with all of the children mascot imagery that's in there, like, you know, the Teletubby creatures that are actually aliens that, you know, Oh, it's just, it's just really messed up. But it's one of those things where it was so warped and freaky and just strange that I couldn't w- stop watching, and I was floored that it was on that it was on television, that it wasn't even on yeah, like subscription crazy. television. Yeah. And as long as you're bringing up TV, I will say one of my favorite horror movies of all time is a TV horror movie called "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Oh God. Um, um, which is which was remade by um, which was remade and not not remade particularly well done. Um, even though I love uh, Del Toro, who produced it, um, but the um, but the original, starring Kim Darby, 
um, right? I think Tim Darby um, was, um, but I mean, it is a, again, it's another movie about, about potential gaslighting and what's real, what's not, what is, am I crazy? Am I not? And the fear and, you know, and the stress of not being believed. And it is just a, you know, movie about a couple that moves into a house where, you know, it sounds like there's voices in there and it is just, um, it is for a TV movie, it is nasty and genuinely scary. And it kind of traumatized me. I saw it when I was like 10 um, and I would watch it every time it was on. But, um, but as long as you were talking about TV stuff like The Cube, um, you just flashed back to me being like, <laughs> oh, how can I not mention that? It's one of my favorites. I so. think you'll like The Cube and I'll be curious to see what you think I, of it. I'm going to watch it for sure. It sounds great. Right up my alley. So everyone should be either unmuted or... I sent everyone a request to unmute so people can jump in with comments and questions. Tim, I have a question. I have a question for you and a short story. Okay. Have you seen the shuttered room? The shuttered room. Oh, I don't think I have. Well, you need to see that one. Okay. It's an old How, black and white movie that I saw as a child and kind of freaked me out. But it, it's good. And um, my little story is the ring. When um when I was watching that movie, I was sitting cross-legged in front of my TV with my face right up in front of the screen because you know I'm visually impaired, so I have to watch it that way. And at the end of the movie, when she crawled out of that television, I felt like she was crawling out of mine and laugh <laughs> and I just it, that, that I've never said I would never watch another horror movie again you know I'd always watch them over and over again but that one <laughs> I refused to watch again until just about a couple of weeks ago I my daughter had it on and I was watching that yeah if that thing was coming yeah, out of my TV I'd never watch another horror movie either <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look up the shuttered room for sure uh I mean I'm looking at it now and it's uh and it definitely looks like it's uh it's up my alley. It looks like it uh it was 1967. That's amazing. All right. Anybody else? Um. Hello, Matt. I'm. Hey. I'm Elizabeth. I hey. I like a lot of the movies that you mentioned. Uh, um. Have you ever seen the TV? There was a TV series in the seventies called The Watchers. That See, was a I, good. I think I saw it. You know, the thing is, is that I I don't even know if they've reissued it on DVD. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because I I remember seeing, I believe, watching it when I was like, I mean, I was born in sixty nine, so I was pretty, I was young. Um, but it's funny. Yeah, what was that about? I don't I don't remember exactly what happened with it or anything. Tell me about it. It was about fallen angels um, and how they would, you know, they would like watch in the dark and wait for, wait for, you know, people to mess up and stuff like that. And then they would come and and do their, do their things, you know, but it, it was like a mini series. It ran for, for about a week and it, I liked it. It was very good. It's, it's a black and white uh, series. Well, you know, the backstory is supposedly, that's why I say the fallen angels, you know, one third of the angels came down to earth, you know, and they're supposed to be what they call, I guess, the watchers. 
you know, and they, yeah, that's why yeah. they would just wait for people to do, what, you know, whatever they were going to do, and then they would they would come and do their their evil. It's it's along the lines of like The Exorcist and um, things like yeah, it that. Sounds out my alley. Sounds great. Um, yeah, I liked Rosemary's Baby too. I was about fifteen when. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I mean, traumatizing. <laughs> Although it also has a terrible, terrible TV movie sequel somewhere. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, that original movie is great. Most of them do. I mean, oh, even, yeah. you know, the first two, Damien the Omen, you know, the Omen movies were great. Oh, yeah, and then, you know, they went off the rails. Aww. Most of the, the movies you don't like that Sam time. Neo in the You don't like Sam Neill in the Final Conflict? <laughs> I mean, you have to watch it because you're invested already. But no, I, I wasn't really a fan of, of um, the final conflict. Still a lot better than whatever happened to Rosemary's Baby. I mean, which is terrible. I mean, is, you know, I mean, that is one terrible TV movie. So um, what was that? Whatever happened to Rosemary's Baby? You didn't. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, it's it's called um, here. Let me look. I mean, it's uh, I think it's. The Patty Duke who takes over from Mia Farah. I mean, it's um, yes. it's yeah, it is right. I'm not least Yeah, it's Patty Duke. Um, yeah, he he becomes a teenage like rock star. I mean, it is, it is, it is a, it is a terrible movie. I mean, oh, it's called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby, right? Now, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it <laughs> no, is I didn't. Trash. It is trash. Patty Duke. Yeah, I... Patty Duke. This is Kim again. I have a question for you. I've always had this um, memory of watching this movie with this canopy bed and the canopy would come down like suffocate people. Does that sound wow. familiar to you? It's an old black and white. Oh my God. Uh, that is Sounds Edgar Allan Poe-ish, but go ahead. No, I mean, I don't think, I mean, it doesn't sound familiar to me, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to envision you know, like a time was it like in the eighties or? Well, I think it was the sixties. Sixties, going back further. Okay, yeah, I have to think about it. I mean, that is, I don't know if it rings. I don't know if it rings a bell. Um, I'm going to research it though. I'm going to see if I can find it because I, I love, I love, I love challenges, and I definitely know people who've seen even more than I have. And if it exists, I bet I can find it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out of my way to try to find it. I just did a um, Wikipedia search for canopy okay. bed that suffocates people. And it turns out there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a book um, apparently written by um, in, in 1852, written by uh, Wilkie Collins called a terribly strange bed. And I don't know oh if God, the movie was based on that book or not. In fact, let me just search. Oh, for I the found movie. it. This is a Vincent Price movie. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. It's a Vincent Price movie. And it looks like it is, uh, and it looks, oh no, I think it's, well, let's see. There was a 1977 movie called Deathbed um, that, that I'm finding, I'm finding online that people are talking about it here. Um, and it looks like it was um, an ancient four poster bed that loves to eat people and wants people to lie <laughs> upon it. So um, to eat there, people. there was a 77 movie called Deathbed. Um, and then there is, but um, yeah, so uh, apparently there was someone online here that was, and then it sounds like, but you may be thinking of the original 13 Ghosts movie. 
um, which also has a killer canopy bed in it. So it sounds like if the entire movie is about the bed, it might be deathbed. If it's just one scene, you remember, it may be the Vincent Price movie, 13 Ghosts. Sounds like yeah. a lot of people are scared of their beds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now I kind of want to see deathbed. Deathbed sounds great. I think that sounds like a great movie. How have I not seen deathbed before? I mean, like, come on. That's not, I, I have to research deathbed. That's awesome. <laughs> I think this falls under next week's category, but I still kind of consider it horror. What do you feel about the original, not the the recent version, the original's V series, the uh, oh, mini series, and then yeah, okay. He's do amazing. you consider He's that a- horror? Nah, I don't know. I mean, it was science fiction. It was it was definitely. I mean, I think it's. I think it takes its cue from. A lot of, especially a lot of different science fiction movies and novels at the time. But no, it was amazing. I mean, it was it was fantastic. You know, you know. The only problem is it just ends and then it and then it comes back with a TV series that was also a dud. And but I mean the um, but I mean I mean it really was one of those things where, I mean it actually to be perfectly honest, it's actually probably one of the things that turned me off of episodic TV. Um, in that you invest for so long in something and then it just kind of sputters and out, it disappears. Um, yeah. which really, which really pisses me off. And so, and I was, you know, I think I was like 15 or 16 when it ended. I mean, my brother, you know, had been waiting forever, you know, and we were just like, wait, that's it? Really? Really? That's it? And I'm, I'm just angry. Um, and so, um, but that said, boy, that was a, I mean, that was, that was, I feel that was my introduction to like event television where, you know, they advertise stuff so heavily that like everybody in the world is going to watch it. I mean, it was like that and the day after the, the the nuclear movie, the day after were like the two events I remember from TV where it was like, everybody must watch it. Um, and boy, V, those original miniseries were great. It really just mm-hmm. was, the further, they just, they just bit off more than they can chew, I think. But, um, but boy, I mean, what a, you know, what a, and then, you know, and, and, you know, speaking of horror, you know, who was that? It was, um, what's her name? The blonde woman from um, V. Um, Faye, Faye Grant, uh, Faye Grant, you know, Faye Grant was the star of Omen 4, which was the yes. TV movie with the, you know, with the little girl, little girl Omen. Um, so you gotta love anything with Faye Grant in it. So yeah. <laughs> do we have anyone else with some questions or critiques for Matt? I did see the movie Hush that you mentioned earlier on Netflix and how did um, it work? Did it work? Okay. It's no? described. Well, thank goodness it was, because as a blind person, I would have gotten nothing out of it if it had not been described. And it's so interesting how so much is done through body language and movement and facial expression that the audio describer brings out that, you know, as a blind person, we're just totally not aware of that stuff and how that can make the actress act yeah, see, a movie like that or um, that Sandra Bullock movie, um, the one where Bird everyone Box. goes blind. Yeah, Bird Box, thank you. I- I'd love to see that with someone sighted and hear the audio description and really get an idea of, you know, how good of a, or, or poor, if, if hopefully not, but, you know, how good of a job are they doing? And I'd love to critique it with, with someone who's in audio description um, script writing because a lot of times they give us more information in audio description than you'd get watching the movie and that's a big uh you know a big will, bane 
I will say with Hush, I, with Hush as a sighted person, I kind of wish that they had made the movie silent to imitate what she's going through, which I think would have made it a very unique picture. Like, I don't think there would have been anything else like it. Um, and so it just is, um, it was, it's still, a, it's still a really good thrower. Um, but I just, you know, even seeing it, I was like, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite put you in, in her position because the music is a tell of when things are going on or not going on. Um, which of course is just not the way it works in, you know, in real life where, you know, where, where things surprise you. So, um, yeah. You don't have that creepy music when you're opening the basement door. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I would suspect if they did it that way, that's an interesting concept, but I would suspect no one would watch it because... Oh, I'm sure. There would be no feedback. Yeah, I mean, mean, there was a a fantastic, horrific movie about seven years ago called The Tribe, which is basically about a kid who's deaf who goes to a deaf boarding school and... The people who run the school are involved in crime and use the kids for horrific things. It's a thrower, it's like a crime thrower. But the thing is, is that there's no there's no subtitles in it. They all are they all are just using sign language, and they don't explain what the sign language is. And then within five minutes, you kind of start figuring out what they're doing just by their expressions uh, or by their hand motions. So, but yeah, no one would have seen it if Hush was actually silent. So, so I think it's... Um, pain, pain in your heart. Oh, I thought somebody was trying to get in there. Um, it's, yeah, I wasn't sure. It's the same thing with sci-fi where they never, they almost never are scientifically factual. There are, are There's no sound in outer space. And if a ship explodes, you're not going to hear it go... You know, but almost yeah. nobody ever does that. You know, there's a lot of factual inaccuracies in media. But it's interesting when you get one that does, right? So, like, I mean, when you when you start getting movies that are more scientific, as someone who's seen a lot of those movies, it kind of catches your attention more mm-hmm. because it's something that you haven't seen a lot before. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's like a Battlestar Galactica tried to do a better job of that, where at least the sounds were kind of mute, muted, in space, even though you could still hear things blowing up, it was like instead of so. I think it'd be interesting if there was a serial killer uh, that played horror music right before you're about to be confronted by the guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine coming home from work and you open the front door and all of a sudden you start hearing from a Bluetooth speaker dun-dun-dun-dun-dun Oh my. <laughs> or the sil- serial killers out there on the front steps with the violin. Oh God. <laughs> or, or, the, or the big boombox playing in your eyes. He's he's got he's got yeah, exactly. the, the full orchestra in the bathroom with him as he's stabbing you in the shower. Bing, 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 bing. No, man, I'm gonna jump in because I, I to me, I'm terrible. I'm a chicken. I'll say it out there. And the only reason well, the only two reasons that I've been here on this call have been because I have to, <laughs> because I have to run the meeting, <laughs> and because, because I'm coming to bed with Anthony. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. Because I'm a chicken. I mean, I watched just the first Omen when I was a kid, and I still have nightmares with the priest being 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 stabbed. Oh, with a, movie. With the, 
with the metal cross. Oh my God, I yeah, still I cannot. It's, it's horrifying. Or or um, you know the the scariest thing that or I don't even know if it's horror. You correct me if I'm wrong. But the borderline most kind of like intriguing suspense that I enjoyed and I've actually watched a couple of times has been the hand that rocks the cradle. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah. I yeah, love Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, yes. that's more suspense. And and I know you say you're not so much into series, but I highly recommend because I couldn't. I think I left off at episode number three because I couldn't possibly continue. But I'm so intrigued that I really want to continue watching. Is a series called Manifest. Oh, um, Manifest, oh, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah that's, oh, that's the plane, I, right? That's the, that's the plane ride, right? Yeah, that's the, plane, the plane that disappears that, and comes back. That disappears, and five years later, it lands, it it, it, it comes back, and, and, and it's, well, yes. We're not doing that one because it got canceled. It's not coming back. It did? Oh, wow. Yeah, oh. two seasons. They left it on a cliffhanger. It's not coming back. I'm pissed. <laughs> oh, I, I have yeah. such a hard time like not watching. People say, oh, don't watch this because they left it with a cliffhanger. And it's like, well, I know there's a cliffhanger, but I still want to see it because it looks really good. And so I'm really conflicted. Do I watch it or do I just skip it because it's going to it's gonna disappoint me in the end? After yeah, Lost. I, I like that other series, too, about that, uh, that little girl. What was it called? Resurgence? I think they canceled that one, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, they did. Yeah, Resurgence was canceled. Yeah. Matt, can yeah, I ask you good. down? That's the lesson. No, I'm just kidding. Some TV can I ask and you again, I mean, one... I watched. I mean, I watched the leftovers, and I watched the Good Place, and I mean, at least when I know that they're gonna, if they're gonna cancel it, they're still gonna do an extra year to finish it. Then I'm fine with it. But if they're not gonna, yeah, do anything, mm-hmm. I don't want to get involved. If they're gonna give us the wrap up episodes, I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah. Can I ask you, changing course for um, a couple of seconds, one of my favorite parody movies of all time is Repossessed. If you've never seen it, you just oh have to watch it for the camp value, the absolute the Blair, right? You mean yeah, the Blair, Blair. Oh, yeah, of she course. She came back to reprise the role. I mean, it is not scary in any way, shape, or form. It is complete yeah, parody. Hilarious. But it's hilarious. Are there any other um, horror parodies that you recommend? I mean, the first, one of the first ones um, that is um, the one of the first horror comedies, The Student Bodies, um, which was in '81, which is a total just comedy about making fun of serial killer movies, and it is hilarious. And supposedly, supposedly Woody Allen wrote part of it under a pseudonym, um, and there's a part of it that actually feels like it's Woody Allen. Um, but I mean, it is incredibly. It is incredibly stupid. I mean, it is, I mean, but it is funny. You can, you know, you can stream it on, on Amazon Prime, I think, or at least rent it. Um, I mean, those are, that's probably the, along those lines, like the ones that are intentionally, you know, intentionally funny. Um, I don't love like scary movies or stuff like that. Um, I do love, you know, weirdly enough, we didn't talk about it, but I really do love um, the original um, Scream um, as well, which I think is super smart. And um and you know, I even like. I, I, know, I even I, you know, I could have been inter- I could have interrogated you. What would you say, ma'am? Oh. Oh, hopefully she'll come back. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I love Scream. I love. I know what you did last summer. Like, I love that resurgence of. Oh, what, you know, so what time of, is of it? Horror films. 
So you know what 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 horror things I actually can't handle uh, are things that are too factual or too too accurate. We're just talking about how annoying it is to have in, 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 you know inaccuracies in media. But one of the things that really bugs me is stuff that could actually happen. So I I refuse to watch the Saw series because oh, I yeah. saw one I saw one scene out of Saw uh, at a friend's house where somebody was like trapped in a room full of syringes and they had to swim through all the syringes to get out. And I was just like, nope, yeah. nope, 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 nope. Nope. That was the second, that was the second Saw movie. And weirdly enough, here's the crazy thing about it is that's the only Saw movie I really love. And that's because it was never intended to be a Saw movie. It was a thriller oh. that they just, that they just called Saw, that they just made Saw 2 after Saw was a hit. And it doesn't, they, they attached it. I mean, it has to do with Saw, but it was written entirely before Saw. I mean, but you know, and they, and so it's, the, it's the it's the most story driven of it, but that scene is almost impossible to watch. I mean, like uh, again, I, I I am I am not a gore fan, and I've seen it all. I've seen the goriest movies under the sun, but I don't enjoy it. Um, and that is a yeah. that is a tough scene for me to watch. I'm much more into the suspense more than the gore. Um, another one that yeah. I saw when I was in Australia, oddly enough, I, I went there to go oh. see my ex fiance was Wolf Creek Two. Oh my yep. god. Australian <laughs> horror is crazy. I mean, Australian Australian horror is either super visceral, nasty, like Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek Two, or Hounds of Love, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, which are like super intense, really nasty, or they are a complete joke. Like there's a there's jokey films like Black Sheep or Boar, um, which are so Australia has this weird edge to their films. But I yeah. mean, so yeah. There's a, by the way, there's a Wolf Creek TV series too. Oh God, that show was or that movie yeah. was so creepy. I don't know if I could watch yeah. the series. Yeah, oh, I mean, no. loosely based on a true story, but I mean, Wolf Creek was loosely based on a true story of yep. people disappearing in Australia. But I mean, I mean, it's like I mean that's like saying aliens based on a true story. I mean, it really is like not really. I mean, there's not a lot that has to do with it. But I mean, Wolf Creek. I mean, those are those are classic. I mean, those are kind of classic movies of of recent. Um, just because again, they kind of define like the nastiest of how Australia can like is, is, is tougher than some other places in terms right. of like going stuff. So, and there were yeah. some kind of jokey moments in that movie. The second one, um, not so much the first one, but there were <clears throat> a couple of like the whole, uh, jeopardy or who wants to be a millionaire, uh, or whatever scene <laughs> where he's chopping off limbs and stuff. That was, that was kind of jokey, but, but scary, like really disturbing too. Yeah. In general, I find when Australia like doesn't make jokes, it works like in the film is great and disturbing. And then their humor on the humor horror stuff, I think most of the time is somewhat of a dud because it just is it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work for me. But I mean, Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek. I mean, those are Wolf. Those are good movies. Um, So um, and uh, I mean, disturbing, disturbing, hard to watch, really hard to watch. So. Well, now it's thundering here in Miami, so go figure. <laughs> Talk about pathetic policy. On a dark and stormy night. <laughs> exactly. So taking oh, I taking love Carrie Miami. I think mix. it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love it. Taking Carrie out of the mix because it, it just, I mean, it stands, it stands, it, forget it. it yeah. One of, yeah. Taking Carrie out of the mix, what is your, your top recommendation of a Stephen King film to watch based upon the story because not all of them come from novels some of the the movies come from short stories 
So you want one based on the story or based on the novel? Either one, but I'm just saying. Like I mean, some, you know, I mean, I think I think the Dead Zone is probably the, in some ways, the best adaptation that's close to the move that's close to the book because I think it. I mean, I think it's a great book, and I think David Cronenberg. I think with Christopher Walken, it's an amazing yeah. movie. I mean, it's just an amazing movie, and especially. It, it's scary to watch nowadays, especially, you know, with our current world scenario as well. But I mean, there's just something, I think there's a lot of movies that have been made like Stand By Me and Shawshank that are faithful to the book. But I think there's something about the dead zone, which took everything amazing about the book and even in some ways made it just a little better. I mean, it's, I mean, and I just can't, I can't put my finger on it exactly, but it is, I mean, I think Cronenberg was great. I mean, I just think uh, the cast is great. That is just a phenomenal movie. I mean, in terms of the short stories, I have to think about it. I mean, it, um, you know, there's so much, there's so much garbage. I mean, I mean, from Stephen King adaptations too. I mean, like, you know, Dreamcatcher. I, oh I mean, Dreamcatcher is terrible. I mean, Maximum Overdrive. I mean, there's so yeah. many, you know, I mean, you get, I mean, you know, I actually don't mind. Um, I actually don't mind, you know, Children of the Corn, although by the time you get to like Children of the Corn 8, you're just like enough already. I mean, <laughs> the, um, you know, the lawnmower man has nothing to do with Stephen King's story, but it's kind of hilarious and crazy. Um, I mean, I think the, um, uh, I mean, I think the, I think the, there's been a couple interesting, um, there's been a couple interesting, it's a good question. I mean, I'm trying to think of, are there any, are there any absolutely, phenomenal um i'm looking at my list here um uh phenomenal uh tv mo- i mean movies based on the short stories and i'm trying to think and i'm like i don't know i mean i think um i mean i liked you know i liked like 1408 um or um you know i mean i think um but, I mean, 1408 was that, john cusack right yeah i mean i think yeah the, um, that was well you know, done I think, I, I liked it. I mean, I liked, um, you know, I liked, uh, the, uh, uh, I, 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 you know, I liked Cat's Eye, which is a few of his short stories. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I liked, you know, um, I mean, so I like, um, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, there's not, you know, I think, uh, not a lot of other, not a lot of other stuff based on his, you know, his short stories. Um, there was a, um, uh, yeah, so I think um, he hasn't done so well, I think, with adaptations of his, um, of his short stories outside of like Cat's Eye and, and Creepshow. Um, but I think, um, you know, so yeah, I think, uh, but plenty of great, like I said, plenty of, I mean, I mean. The first two shows I mean, of the corn are pretty darn good. Oh, Creepshow is great. I mean, the first Creepshow is fantastic. I mean, like, you know, and again, I love, you know, I mean, there has been some great, not great. There's been some fun, pretty bad movies based on his stuff, like The Mangler, which is a short story, and again, Children of the Corn, and you know, The Night Flyer, and there's a couple interesting things. Um, you know, even Secret Window with Johnny Depp, which is based on one of his novellas, is you know, that's right. You can do worse. You can do worse, but I mean, like the, um, but I mean, I think in general, um, you know, in general, most of his his the better adaptations are based on the uh based on the 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 novels there's a netflix movie called 1922 which is good based on oh one of my his God. novels i started um, watching that i couldn't yeah so that's a good that's a good story about it's very it's very telltale heart from edgar Allan poe 
Um, it's very oh, much, yeah. you know, person does bad things and then, and then whether it's guilt or supernatural, who knows, but it's that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, I think there's, um, I think, you know, I think there's, I think it's worth watching, um, for sure. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's a TV movie called sometimes they come back. That's based on one of his short stories. That's perfectly fine. That's good. There's a TV two night miniseries called the Langoliers, which is based on his. Oh, that's right. That was pretty good. It's fun. You know, which is fun. Mm-hmm. I think I actually think the miniseries of the Tommy Knockers is perfectly fine. Um, so I think, um, you know, I think there's, you know, there was a TV series called Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which did a bunch of his short stories from, you know, as well, which was on TNT for a season. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. That was a long time ago. That was like 15 years ago. So I think there's been some fun stuff, but I think in general, though, I think his, uh, I think his, uh, his short stories have not translated to full-length movies you know if you had to recommend one stephen king piece of work short story or not full-length novel come on i mean i mean i don't know (laughs) i mean i think the year i mean i think um i mean i certainly think if you pick up his short story collection skeleton crew there's like not a bad story in there and it has the it has the novella of the mist which you know the movie does 90% a good job doing and then completely screws it up. But I mean, it's got, you know, it's got great stuff in it, but I mean, all his collections are great. I think his, you know, I think, um, I think you can't go wrong with one of his collections. I'd say, I'd say skeleton crew has the mist in it. It has the monkey. I mean, the monkey in it, which is a great short story. It's got tons of great stuff. I mean, I think his original collection graveyard shift is probably his scariest collection. Yes. kind of short stories um, oh, yeah. that are mm-hmm. you know like the boogeyman and some other stuff which are like cheesy horror but they're scary and they're like they're, they'll give you nightmares and so i just think um you know i you know i think it's um so i think but again i really recommend picking up joe hill's short story collection 20th century ghost um which just will not do you wrong and you know it feels like you know i mean again is his it's it, between him and his dad, man. They have produced phenomenal stuff. So. Well, are there two or three up and coming horror authors that you'd recommend since we're up and coming is tough. Cause it hasn't, you know, the publishing industry has not been kind to horror. Um, I mean, I think it has, it just has, there's not been a lot of best selling books that have been marketed as horror. I would say Nick Cutter, who I mentioned before is phenomenal. The deep and the troop. Um, Again, I would say uh, I would say the woman who wrote um, Baby Teeth, uh, uh, Zoe Stage, is 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 really you know is re- is really great and really interesting. Um, but I think it's I think it's 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 tough. I mean, I think you know I think it's um, it's it's like I said, it's it's it hasn't been a kind time to horror fiction has not seen the boom that you see in horror movies or horror, even horror TV, like The Walking Dead, or even horror comic books, it's been its own thing where I just think um, there hasn't been a lot of breakouts. But I think last year there was a fantastic novel called Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, um, which is kind of like a version of The Stand in some ways, um, which is which is absolutely worth seeing. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think he's not, he's, not, he's not up and coming. He's been around forever. Um, but I mean, I mean, is a, you know, is a, you know, is a, you know, is a phenomenal book. Um, so I think it's, it's hard to, 
Um, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, I think Victor Laval, who writes literary horror, he's written books like The Devil in Silver, um, which is phenomenal, um, is, you know, is, um, is, you know, is probably, I think, one of the best people who is writing horror nowadays. Um, but his horror is also not like anything else. I mean, it is, you know, he wrote a book called The Devil in Silver. He wrote a book called The Ballad of Black, Black Tom, The Changeling. He writes books that are, they're not easy reads, um, but they are, they're worth, you know, they're definitely really worth looking at for, um, for something different. So I would say maybe those three are places to start. Well, anybody else, anybody else in listener land have a comment or question from that before we close it out for the night? Of, of Stephen King's movies, I like The Dome was pretty good. Or what? Under the Dome. The Under Dome? The TV, the TV show, Under the Dome? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you know, that book is a weird book. And so um, it's one of those books that I think, you know, I think the TV show... Again, the TV show changed a lot what was going on. Yeah. I think the TV show did a really good job of taking the same idea and then doing their own thing with it and saying, we're not going to disrespect the original book, but we are going to do something very different with it. And so I do think it's one of the more interesting adaptations where they kind of threw the book out the window in some ways. I mean, yeah, again, they kept, they kept the heart of it. They kept the heart of it. But then they really decided to to not worry about sticking to it so much, which is kind of how I feel even about, weirdly enough about the movie Carrie, which is really different from the book um, in a lot of ways. And it's not a knock at the original book, but I do think that movie um, Transcended. did some things differently that, that, that landed its punches a little differently. And I think for me, um, you know, particularly in terms of pacing, I mean, in the book, let's just say that what happens between her and her mother is very different and happens at a very different time in the books than it does in the movie. And I think it's very interesting to see the impact. It's very interesting that the movie makes it all about her and her mother. And the book makes it more about looking through the eyes of everyone else in the movie at something where Carrie is one of 10 people who all get equal stage time in the book. And I just think in some ways by focusing the movie kind of on her and her mother and then Amy Irving and Nancy Allen and uh, William Catt and John Travolta and basically keeping it to those six or Betty Buckley, if you want to count the gym teacher or seven, by narrowing its focus, it really kind of makes you more invested in what's happening with the characters. So I just think it was, um, I think Carrie's a really interesting novella, but I definitely think it's one of those movies that works by taking the core of it and then doing its own thing. Um, you know, as opposed to like the remake recently of Pet Cemetery, the movie, uh, which I just did, did not think worked. And again, they took yeah, the idea yeah. behind Stephen King and they, they changed a couple of key things. And I mean, that's a book that a lot of people really feel strongly about and love. And it is a, it's a nasty, scary book. I mean, it's really, it's, I'd say it's one of his nastiest books. And I just think it's probably not a, it wasn't going to be a movie that, people were going to enjoy seeing changed very much. But Under the Dome is a really interesting TV show and it lends itself more to a TV show, I think, than some of his other stuff given yeah, that's that it's true. about an entire town. So um, I definitely think it's a TV show worth checking out. I always thought Dolores Claiborne would make an interesting t TV series. Yeah, I mean, do you like the movie? 
I did. Um, not, I, I liked I, the movie. Not as much as the book, um, but yeah. I did like the movie. You know, but then again, you know, of course, it's Kathy. So, you know, yeah. even American Horror Story, you know, becomes much more entertaining because she signed on. <laughs> yeah, she elevates. I mean, she elevates anything she's in. And it's a really, I mean, the weird thing about Dolores Claiborne is, is that I think it's a, it's one of those things that's deceptively, I think it's a deceptively hard book to film right in some ways. Meaning like, I think when you're reading it, you may think it's easy to film, but I don't think it, I think it's hard to capture the emotional punch that the book leaves on you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I do agree with you that in the, in a limited TV show, like I think in a limited mini series where you had time to flesh everything out more, it could, it could work really well. Anybody else questions or comments for Matt? What okay. um, what do you think of Stephen King's It? <laughs> I didn't yeah, care for the remake of it too much. I mean, the thing is, look, I mean, I love Stephen King. I I I think the book is problematic um in that I think the book is I think the book is the parts are more than the sum for me, which is, I think there are iconic moments in that book that I will never forget that I think are absolutely genius beyond belief. And then oh, I yeah. don't think it all quite comes together as well as it should for a thousand pages. Um, and, but again, I mean, to be fair, even an, even a Stephen King book that I don't love is still, I think, you know, phenomenal reading. Like, I mean, I don't regret reading it in any capacity or anything like that. I think the remakes did a really solid job. But again, I think they, I think, um, I think in the way that the remakes changed the, um, the way the books work, which is splitting young and old in that way, in that, in that pacing, I don't know if it served... I don't know if it served the second movie as well um, because I feel that a lot of the best stuff is the coming of age stuff. And mm -hmm. obviously it's front loaded into the first half of that remake. I mean, in the first part, but I do look, I mean, I think again, you're talking about something that I think is super hard to film. And I think they did a, they did a commendable job taking something that I think is, incredibly hard to do and i think they also came up with a movie that was well cast and had a lot of great scenes in it um yeah you know i have my i have my issues i have my issues with look i mean i'm i'm i got my issues with everything under the sun and but it, the thing <laughs> is is that other people love other people love that novel and i think they are more invested in seeing a great movie of it than i am where i was like i think it's a really interesting novel and then but not one of his best. And then, so I'm like, when I see a movie that I have fun with, I was like, Hey, that was, that was good. I mean, like, so I just think it depends, you know, as opposed to me where Christine is one of my favorite books of all time. And I love John Carpenter, but I think that movie is a disaster. I mean, I think that movie is a joke and I just can't stand it. And I think same with Firestarter, frankly, um, with its Tangerine Dream score, which just does not hold up today. Um, and, and, and again, um, and again, I love Firestarter as a novel. And so I think the, I think, I think it's tougher for me to watch Christine because that movie, which captures being bullied in high school in a way different than Carrie does, 
um, that I think really resonated with me. I was just angry watching that movie the whole time because I was just like, you basically just took a big dump on the head of my memory of this book that I just cherish. And I say that as someone who loves John Carpenter. But, um, but so I think it just depends. I think also your mileage varies based on how much you love the book or don't love the book, right? So. True. All yeah, right, true. well, Matt, I want to thank you so much sure. for joining us tonight. Um, Byron, of course, thank you for joining us. I'm going to put you on the spot. Byron is doing sci-fi next week, same time, same channel. Um, and he probably wants to ask if you'd co- co-host sci-fi with him as well matt, matt will you matt will you co-host with me <laughs> I, I will how about this you will host but i will be there and i will come prepared with my own thoughts and then you can toss the ball to me wherever you need something awesome darn it my trick of of uh my trick of unloading the work onto somebody else didn't work oh well. yeah All right, no, Anthony, it's not gonna uh, work that well but i will do my research ahead of time at least to see what is what's audio described on the platforms i'm looking at in terms Sweet. of you know, uh, of, 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 uh, of that stuff. And there's definitely some good sci-fi on Netflix. That's audio described. Are you well. using the ACB radio or the ACB uh, I'm using descriptive it, audio? I, I'm using it initially to look at, and then I'm going to the platform to make sure like on Amazon to make sure it is because how, some of the stuff on there is not. How do you prevent all of that stuff from getting into your queue when you're, cause I don't, I might want to check to see if so-and-so is described, but I don't want it to get wind up in my queue. <laughs> so I haven't checked. I haven't checked everything on Netflix, but it seems like the Netflix stuff is pretty accurate on there. The Amazon Prime stuff, it says on the page whether it's audio described. So I just have to go to the, oh, there you go. I have to go to the product. I have to go to the product page. So Amazon is easy to look at, and Hulu has almost nothing audio described. Yeah. So, like one of the only horror movies on Hulu that's audio described is Little Monsters, which is a comedy. <gasps> fun, a lot of fun. What? But it's a Hulu exclusive. <gasps> it's a, it, no, 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 not no, not the eighties Little Monsters. This is a. <sighs> zombie movie that oh. came out last year australian zombie horror <sighs> um which is actually good um but it is no not that little monster because i'm having to remind myself i know i get people's hopes up you you knows. just took me from super excited to really disappointed <laughs> you and my friend i said the same thing to one of my friends last week and then he he was on the verge of signing up for hulu just to see it and i was and then i I had, to rem- I had to say no not that one um but yeah so absolutely but i will do some research beforehand and i will be there next wednesday Awesome. All right, cool. Well, then we'll see you so guys, you guys a list. I'll get you guys a list of what I talked about tonight as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, everybody, you've been listening to Hump Day Horror presented by Blind Pride International. I am Anthony Corona. Byron Lee has been streaming and unofficially co-hosting with us. Yeah, Gabriel Lopez Safadi has been running the controls in the background. He's president of BPI. And of course, our special guest is Matt Schwartz. You can find him on Facebook and you can find awesome reviews of the things that he likes and the things that he doesn't like and the things that he thinks are mediocre and just about anything he thinks are wise. Matt, thank you so much for coming tonight. My pleasure. I had a pleasure. Matt, Byron, Anthony, thank you everyone for joining us. Good night, guys. Oh, thank you. Day. May the Schwartz be with you. you. <laughs> 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 Hope you can all sleep tonight. All right, good night, so everybody. Try not to have good any night. nightmares. <laughs>